Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or eBooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and I am joined, as always, by two of the best chums in this room. It is Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. How do we feel about that? Yeah, I know, because it sounded that I felt warm-hearted early. Yeah. And then, like, why did he... I wonder... It's one of two things. Either he just genuinely doesn't like us that much, mm-hmm. or... He thought he opened his heart up a little too much. And, and then went, oh, oh, no. Oh, I had to yeah. retreat. You, don't, you mean nothing to me. Oh, oh, you I'd... can't get hurt if you don't let people in. Mm. That's my theory. Let us in, Dave. Let us in. Open up. And did you also like that I said, how do we feel? Because yeah. I see you and I as a team. We're a team. Whereas Dave, obviously. Oh, my. He's put himself on the other side of the. Of I'm a coach. Well, you just bought yourself five minutes on the fucking bench. Yeah. Matt, you're filling in. Oh, and see, as a team member, I'm happy for Matt. Hooray! Hey, fuck you, Jess. This is my time to shine. Woo! Okay, well, I'm happy for you, but okay, it seems excessive. Wow, tension early. Enjoy the right? enjoy your time on the pine. Here yeah, I go. I'm trying to All right, what does that mean? What does that mean in 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 real terms? Now time that I'm on the, the ground. Cuz I mean, Jess is still able to talk. Should you turn her mic off while I'm on the field? <laughs> Don't yep. don't turn my mic off, guys. It's not a we're not we're not playing any kind of sport. Well, I'm very confused. 
<laughs> and I'm very competitive. And I'm not. Nah, I was going to say something wildly inappropriate. I stopped myself. Well done, Jessica. Well, Have a chocolate is, biscuit. Wow, that is a new <laughs> yeah. thing for you. It's a, new, a new high for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank oh, you. I'm so curious as to what that could have been. Horny. Go horny, horny, okay. <laughs> That wow, is so that is wild. I'm competitive. <laughs> you're horny. And what were you, Matt? Who cares? All I'm thinking about is Jess's horniness. Okay, well, this let's, is weird. Let's move on. From Dave, I was back on the road, please. Hands at ten and two. You're, you're driving this vehicle. I am, I am driving while we do this show. It's very dangerous. Yeah, last last time we were in bunk beds. <laughs> now we're driving. Well, we live in a camper van. It's yeah. pretty obvious. Yeah, we do. Yeah, of course. I should have known the Dugoon van. Guys, I'm, fe- I'm feeling great. I've had a Twix for dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A chocolate. Which I've never seen someone <laughs> eat a Twix that way. You had... So, Twixes come in two pieces. It's a chocolate bar and two pieces. Two fingers, if you will. And you, you opened two packets of Twix and had one out of each. Like the weirdest person in the world. It's so extravagant. Yeah. It is like um, the most... You are like a rock star. I would like to say that I heard... <laughs> that uh, Twixes had been poisoned, but only one stick in each, so there's only fifty percent chance uh, now that I will die. Okay, oh, so I'm feeling pretty confident. Well, that yeah. makes sense then. Has that answered all of your questions? Yeah, I think that <laughs> not, not raised that, any more issues. No, obviously you were keen on a Twix, and the risk was well worth it. Exactly. I'm actually having a love affair with Twix at the moment. Just going through a phase. Oh, I used to be all about Twirl. Oh, yeah. Twirl's twirl. definitely the better. Twirl's my number one, and. But they were both 99 cents today, uh-huh. and I ended up buying two Twixes rather than one Twix and one Twirl or two Twirls. Interesting. Oh. Have you tried a mint Twirl? Are you I, a fan of mint? Mm. I have. Uh-huh. It was pretty good, but not as good as a normal Twirl. Sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. Agreed. I agree with that. I just, I just wanted to, oh yeah, I wanted to know that you'd tried a mint Twirl. Do you got, did <laughs> I needed you, yeah, to I'm ready that. to die now. <laughs> I've tried a mint Twirl. So, <laughs> I'm ready to die. Well, well, ready to die. Well, I did eat the Twix. <laughs> <laughs> so, a a twirl is a flake with a chocolate, chocolate coating. Yeah. It's coated. Do you guys remember timeouts, which were... <gasps> oh, they're still around. They had biscuit in They were though. like a, with no, a layer wafer. of wafer. They're like the poor man's twirl, in my opinion. Yeah, but no, aren't they, are they a twirl with flake? Uh, with, uh, what? There's a lot less chocolate and more, a lot more biscuit. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a, you know, there's, had a stroke. <laughs> there's wafer in there, which is not... It gets in the way of the chocolate. But flake is fun, but messy, whereas twirl... Yeah, it's like all casing. the joys of a flake without spilling it all over yourself. Mm. Uh-huh. This and podcast had... <laughs> Sponsored by Cadbury. It's interesting that... <laughs> well, I wish. You know, I like, honestly take a box of chocolate. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get a, not like a, just a thick block of chocolate, the exact same chocolate, and somehow that's less satisfying than one that's got air in it. Yeah, but, yeah I agree, yep. Like Aero. Aero, Aero yeah. amazing. So bubbly. Ah, Nestle, see? Ah, there you go. In terms of fairness, I think we've gone both major parties now. There we go. We've supported the troops yeah. of chocolate. But, of course, Lint is oh, the best with yeah. sea salt. Dark chocolate with sea salt. Okay. Right. See, not a when, fan. No, no, not no, a fan no. of Lindt. No, no. When I was in Europe, they had milk chocolate with sea salt. And I, mm. I looked everywhere and I could not get it in Australia. And then just as you said it then, I just got really excited because <laughs> I'm going back to Europe and I'm just going to eat so much of it. Oh, my God. I'm going to come back 10 kilos heavier. Yeah. Well, well worth it. <laughs> so worth it. Is that it. because you've strapped 10 kilos of chocolate to your body that's and probably, smuggled it in? That's probably a better idea than just eating uh, it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll definitely be moving back cocaine. Yeah, but then sell that and buy a lot of chocolate. Mm-hmm. You can buy a lot of chocolate. The street value of a, of a European chocolate in Australia is quite high. Yeah, so you've got you to plan ahead for the cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine's the middleman of this scenario. It's really about getting just to chocolate. Comedy doesn't always pay, you know. Cocaine always pays. <laughs> Crime always pays. Cocaine will never let you down, is what I'm saying. 
If there's one thing we're going to learn on this episode. <laughs> it's that Dave's ready to die and cocaine always pays. So curious as to what your topic is. Yeah. It is nothing to do with drugs or chocolate. Well, I'm out. Is it out of the hat? Look, okay. Oh, it's not. It's <laughs> Apologies not. to the hat. You which promised I love the hat. Respect. I promised the hat. But then, you'll understand, I've been toying with this topic for a long time. I saw an opening and I'm just like... I'm going for it. An I'm opening. Ew. I mean, every third episode, there's an opening. <laughs> well, you can, you can literally do anything you well, want. <laughs> once again, I was gonna, and you was gonna eat two different Twixes. Uh-huh. I thought there's a possibility this could be my last ever episode. You've right. tried the mint twirl. You're ready like, to die. I'm ready to die. There's an opening. I get it. All right. So, do you have a question? All right. So, have well, you said on the record though, if you die, what we do with the body? I forget. Oh, We're yeah. shooting you oh, in a space no, you have with to, a packed asshole. You have to, no, no, no. <laughs> well. That's option two. Option one is you buy a fresh crematorium that no one's oh, been burnt. Oh, that's yes. right. Yes. And you, make sure you, were, you, you get all of me into the urn so I don't have to share it with someone else forever. You were so forever. freaked out by that. It still freaks me out. That whole episode freaked me out, to be It's honest. a really graphic episode. Go back. I think it's number episode nine or something. Ten. Ten. Burial, cremation, or other. It's my favorite episode. Really? What? Wow. Yeah, I reckon it is. Thank you. I reckon it is. And now I've heard that, I truly am ready to die. <laughs> That's all you needed. Yep. Get the trifecta. I'm a big DB Cooper fan. Another one of oh, yours. Oh, yes. No, actually, do you know what? Dave, I reckon, has had the best Yeah, ones. definitely. This is very inside uh, baseball now. No, but Back to the Future was great because... <laughs> Let's yeah, go through them all. Because of Dave. <laughs> well, it's episode 34. What better time than to celebrate <laughs> the last 30 weeks of the show? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, but uh, Back to the Future, which was one of yours, Matt, was yeah, great. You. But it was, it was great. It was great because of Dave <laughs> doing his Sydney Scheinberg impression. Well... Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Let's get stuck into this one. So I've got an, uh, if you haven't heard the Dave show before. Dave was feeling pretty low before, if you guys didn't know. Before the episode, <laughs> I was feeling a bit low and we're, we're just pumping him up. Yeah. Thank there. you. Yeah. I appreciate it a lot. I'm feeling great now. I really yeah, am. That's good. Uh, if you haven't heard the show before, thank you for listening to all of that. Um, <laughs> Why? How tedious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we take it in turns to report on a topic. This week, it is my turn. Our topic this week takes us... Well, I, was, I actually thought it was going to be for the first time to Africa. But it isn't because we've been there for um, Egypt. Mm. So the first time to deep, deep darkness of Africa, okay. right to the heart. Okay. Is that a racial? <laughs> I was the same thing. I, I wanted to say the heart of darkness. The very famous Joseph Conrad right. novella. Anyway, yeah, so you going... fuckhead. Read a book. <laughs> Come on, Matt. I'm familiar with the book. One from the bookshop. The, no- the novella. The novella. Yeah, novella. <laughs> okay, and I am it's going. The one to... with that big African tree on the front cover. Stop licking your pen and, and noting yeah. things down. It's weird when you lick a pen. <laughs> um, so our topic takes us to Africa mm-hmm. for the second time. Okay. Possibly last, who knows. Um, the, and I'm going to try a sport one. Yes. Can you believe this? We've only done one sport before, I think. Yeah, we're going in for this. No, Olympics. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, it was opening ceremony. We'll talk to you more about <laughs> Nicky Webster than any event. <laughs> the question is, what, once again, a very opinion, opinion-based one, what was heralded? As one of the biggest sporting events of the 20th century. I know what this is going to be. In Africa. In Africa. Jess, we can never oh, go with that. Yeah, go I definitely know what it is, and I know why you've picked it. Great. So, Jess, you want to go from... Matt and I are now on the same page, no, I think. No, I don't want to now because I'm scared. Is it a boxing match? It is a big, famous boxing is match. Is it... I don't... I'm not 100% sure. Is it Rumble in the Jungle? It is the Rumble... Mm. In the jungle. So, that at the time of recording, uh, Muhammad Ali died two days ago. And I've always, I've, this is a very, very famous boxing match, one of the most famous of all time. And I decided that uh, 
I'd take the opportunity. Now it's very topical. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, so that's why the, I saw the... I've been wanting to look into this for a long time. Yeah. And then I, it seems very apt to do it now. Okay, that's what you mean by there was an opening. There was an opening. You had so, to wait for Muhammad Ali to die, exactly. you monster. Well, I'd actually started researching one from the hat. Mm. So I'm going to come back to that next episode. Cool. Unless another very famous person dies. In which case we have to honour them a week later. Speaking of which, Matt... We were talking, well, you've done a whole episode about famous people dying this year. When you heard the news of Muhammad Ali's yeah. passing. I mean, since then, there's been a few. So it's like, oh, man. It's like, because we were kind of joking that it was just, you know. Yes, maybe a coincidence. Just, yeah, coincidence. But it's feeling more and more like this has been a big year a for it. crazy year for it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we're going to try and honor the memory of the great Muhammad Ali with uh, the story of the rumble in the jungle. And to get there, I have to take you back. I'm going to give some background on the players in this story. So, Muhammad Ali. Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. was born in Louisville, Kentucky on January the 17th, 1942. Did you know that Muhammad Ali was called Cassius Clay? I did, yes. That was his slave name. Well, he was named after his father, that's why he's a junior, who himself was named after a Kentucky politician who worked for the abolition of slavery. So he was a white guy, but he was the ambassador to Russia under Abraham Lincoln, the guy that fought for the abolition of slavery. But I will say that uh, the original Cassius Marcellus Clay owned slaves. So so he is kind of a... I can understand why he he would call it his slave name. But uh, Cassius Marcellus Clay grew up in the American South in a time of uh, segregated public facilities. His father supported a wife and two sons by painting billboards and signs. Hmm. So his dad's a billboard guy. Clay, I'm going to keep calling him that until he changes his name. Clay started boxing when he was just 12 years old. One day he, was, uh, he went out on his bike and when he came back, he found that it had been stolen. He started crying and when a police officer asked him what was going on, a guy called Joe Martin, um, he told the police officer that he wanted to whoop the thief. <laughs> Officer Martin told him, you better learn to box before I can do that, and offered to teach him. <laughs> I'll be your teacher. That seems weird. And then for the next six years, he trained him up from the ages of 12 to 18. What? He, um, he had a... He was, he, I will say he had experience as a boxing coach sure, yeah, for, yeah. of young boys in the area. Right. Probably young children. Young children in the area. Say it young been boys. Young it boys in the boys. area just sounded seedy. Yeah, it's but not. it would have been boys. Like, but it wouldn't have been girls. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, we're talking like late 1940s, I guess. Girls hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> well, the first fact of the episode. Mm. Huh, girls uh, not invented yet. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Clay began training at Columbia Gym, which was race, uh, racially integrated, unlike many other Louisville boxing gyms of that period. Mm. He trained and entered the amateur boxing circuit that year when he was just 12. And uh, over the next six years, he trained up. And in 1960, he won a gold medal in the light heavyweight division at the 1960 Rome Olympics. What? It's pretty good. Because boxing at the Olympics is considered amateur amateur boxing. So it's not like... Oh. And and that's still to this day? Yeah, still to this day. So they have like... um, Because it used to be all the sports were like that, I think. But then it's weird that some of them have remained and some of them haven't. Yeah, so now like the NBA and tennis and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like all the It's the same people you you see play every week. Yeah. Just play for their country. Hmm. But yeah, in boxing, and they have shorter rounds, and it's more—it's less about knocking the other person out, and it's more about points. Yeah. So you don't have to try and smash them in the face. It's more like I punched you in the chest eleven times, so I get eleven points, stuff like that. Wow, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either. But there, like, there are points in the other ones as well, right? In the yeah. Pro. So 
in a boxing match works, they usually have like 12 rounds, um, but this, that sometimes changes. But uh, if no one knocks the other person out or concedes, then they get to the end and there's three referees, like judges, and uh, you get a point for each round you win and whoever's won the most of the 12 rounds. Right. I find wins. it pretty interesting. Wins by decision, that's called. Wow. Have you ever, I've watched, I watched a boxing match last year with Rob Hunter, who's a big boxing fan, and, and watching it, he was like scoring it himself. Oh, so he was actually scoring and he, like saying he who just, won each round. Yeah, and I found it's so much more interesting to watch it when you're watching with someone who, who knows, what knows what's going on. I also it, would not have picked Rob Hunter to be a boxing fan. So he's like a, so Rob Hunter is a friend of ours and a Melbourne comedian. Yeah. I didn't know he was into boxing. No, I wouldn't have picked it. Yeah, well... Um, yeah, I think he's quite a and, quite a cool. big fan. And it may, obviously, if he's scoring, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt I was just like, oh, that, that's just like a whole another element to it. Mm. Like I'd seen the, you know, when Danny Green fought against Anthony Mundine. I went and watched that with some mates, and they're just like, yeah, hit him, hit him, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fuck, <laughs> fuck him up. <laughs> But then watching it with people like, ooh, that was an interesting combination and <laughs> that's worth this many points and stuff like that. It's like, oh, okay. That's interesting. That's a whole nother kind of... It is cool when you watch people, when people know my housemate's really into surfing. I've never watched surfing before. He streams it live it's from an, Hawaii it's, and then you're watching it and he'll predict the score and it's nearly always right. Because right. it's a wow. similar thing, right? It's with the... It's points. For, points, yeah. And it's... Both of those are kind of like... It's up to... A panel of judges. Yeah, so it's, surfing's much like gymnastics where people give them a score. So, yeah, it's not like high jump where it's like, this guy definitely You're jumped definitely higher. definitely the winner. Yeah. And then they have um, unanimous decisions where all three of them go, yeah, yeah, um, Muhammad Ali definitely won, but then they have like split decisions where right. two pick one and one. That's oh. always controversial. Right. Interesting. Right, so Muhammad Ali, uh, well, Cassius Clay's just at 18 years old, he's got a gold medal. By the way... Both names are so good. Cassius Clay Ca- and Muhammad Ali. A, oh, how good are they? Yeah, great names. Man, I love it. I mean, it's not Jess Perkins, but yeah, nice try. Well, uh, <laughs> top three names I've ever heard. Thank you, Dave. Matt, that face says uh, otherwise, which I is say interesting. Say, you know, top eight. Top eight? Yeah. Top eight? Top eight. With Tom. <laughs> good old Tom. <laughs> Uh, Ali would later claim in his 1975 autobiography that shortly after his return from the Rome Olympics, he threw his gold medal into the Ohio River after he and a friend were refused service at a restaurant. So, he wouldn't, so people wouldn't serve them because they were black. But this has been contested, and the story repeated in many different ways over time. Some people say he just lost it. And uh, But anyway, in 1996, at the Atlanta Olympics, they gave him a new gold medal. Oh, wow. When I say I love that story, <laughs> I love the throwing of it into the river. You don't the love the, you, not the, the getting racism. refused service. Okay, part. mate. Yeah, yeah righto. I, that's, I swear. Okay, mate. Yeah, right, mate. <laughs> you, you guys agree with me? It's a unanimous. Do you unanimous? Yeah, that's a 2 1. <laughs> uh, Clay, as he was still known at the time, then turned professional and won his first match in 1960. So just 18. From then until the end of 1963, Clay amassed a record of 19 0. So he what? won all of his matches with 15 wins by knockout. Was that good? So that's four by decision. So that's uh, 19 out of 19 wins. He never okay. lost. Yeah, right. Is that helping you figure it out? No, I'm just double... Are you, but yeah, I, I get it. It's 19 out of... But is that... Would you say it's like, is that good or is that really that's good? 100%. Or? Yeah, and look, I get the maths. I want to know, is, is that like a good... Is that... Would he say that he's happy with how... 
the careers progressing at this stage on I mean stop telling me the num I heard the numbers. Yes. Oh well he is very despite his success What Dave doesn't necessarily agree. What what do you think? I think that he was very happy with himself. Okay. All right. <laughs> now that we're all on the same page. But not everyone was happy ah, with him. Ah, Jess. Yeah, so maybe someone else thought maybe 18-1 would have been better. You're a dickhead. Well, despite his success in his early bouts as a pro, Clay was more highly regarded for his charm and personality than for his ring skills. Much like Matt with his comedy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, the well, he's thing, not that funny. But, but he's... off stage, he's very funny. <laughs> he's That's the thing about... He's quite nice, I guess. As soon as the mics go on, come the, I go off. How come the claws? <laughs> much like Matt, opinion on Clay was divided, and he infuriated <laughs> devotees of the sport as much as he impressed them. So mm. some people were mm. all for his charm, and other people were like, he's just a shit-talking kid. Uh, he would spout poetry and trash talk all his opponents before and after his matches. Which, it's really easy to trash talk when you've won every match. Yeah. yeah. Like, a boxing purist would cringe when Clay predicted the round in which he intended to knock out an opponent. So Matt Stewart's going down around seven. That's so good. That would piss them off and that would annoy them even further when often he was right. Oh. <laughs> and he would gloat about yeah, it. Yeah, but see, the arrogance is it's unsportsmanlike. Oh, that would piss me off too, I reckon. I don't, yeah, I don't like that. I don't know. I think that's just that's just part of boxing and, yeah. and the it's fighting a, it's a thing. Mental it's, thing. It's, a lot of those individual sports, I think, are a bit like that. You have to be, you have to build yourself up. You know, you see him do those weigh-ins yeah. now, and there's like the face-off, and there's a bit of trash, and yeah, it's, well, all, they, it's sort of drama. For the photo, like, where they push drama. their faces together, and they're like, but it's all kind of. Yeah, that was me. I just <laughs> give him a just little kiss. Like, mm-hmm. I'd like get real close, and then I'd just kiss him on the nose. <laughs> just a little. You taste good. Okay. A little butterfly. No, <laughs> just a little butterfly. Eskimo kiss. Eskimo kiss. What's a butterfly like, kiss? No, 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 butterfly kiss is with the eyelashes. Oh, okay. You have to get real close with that Even closer. <laughs> Feel that? That's my, that's my eyelash. Feel like butterflies. that? Butterflies. It's like butterflies. Huh? Close your eyes and feel this and it's like butterflies. Feel Do you that? feel that? Does it feel like butterflies? <laughs> Like that. Have you ever? You've never felt a butterfly. Well, that's it. We're going to the zoo. <laughs> We're going to that hot house. The butterfly enclosure. Let's go, everybody. Just bring the whole media pack. The whole thing. Yeah. And the other guy's the still scales. just trying to like grit his teeth. Like, I'm going to kick the yeah. shit out of you. And you're just like butterflies. How, how cool are butterflies? There's a blue one. Did you? There was a one recently. Like one of the big heavyweight champions is this big fat. English guy, have you seen that guy? Oh yeah, he's a mate. Oh, I can't remember his name. And he's just like he's not at the way, and he's sort of grabbing his his fat in his stomach, going, "They call me an athlete," <laughs> and he's like jiggling his stomach around. But he's like, "Yeah, I'm the champ." So that's so Ooh. cool. Yeah, and he is like the boxing champ in one of the big heavyweight divisions, and he just sounds like he's a just a oh Tyson Fury. That's his name. Sound- oh, what a name! Uh, but he, he seems more like a guy should be a champion darts player, not a. <laughs> He looks like a guy that you'd be scared to fight at the pub, but you'd you would be like, well, you still can't technically beat the yeah. the pros, but he does. <laughs> um, Much like Matt with his comedy. Yeah, well, <laughs> technically you should Getting be able to do it. Some real mixed messages from you today, Jess. Good, like to keep you on your toes, well, your little that... twinkle toes over there. What's Why are you t- always wearing tutus? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> look, oh at, look at I'm feeling my way through life, Jess. I don't know the rules. <laughs> Although, I must say, when you wear your point shoes, it really shows off your calves. You've got great legs. Oh, the old point shoes. Sure do wear them. I'm just feeling my way through life. 
<laughs> we don't. We're not born with a bloody rule book, Jess. <laughs> I was. If only, if only there was a life manual, Can you know. mine, mate. I've got one at home. <laughs> We're all got bloody 2020 vision in hindsight, you know what I mean? <laughs> Tell you that for free. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's five bucks. Hey, Dave, do go on. Well, you very much. Well, some would claim that the opponents that uh, Cassius slash Matt was besting were a mixture of veterans who were long past their prime and fighters who had never been more than mediocre. So some people are like, you've never even fought someone that's good. So when Ali or Cassius challenged heavyweight champion Sonny Liston for the championship in early 1964, Clay was definitely the underdog for the fight. He's, what, 22? He's 22 years old. Sonny Liston was widely regarded as the most intimidating, powerful fighter of the whole era. Wow. And there was some... What was the name like Sonny? Sonny. Sonny Liston, and there were... That's a nice name. I should have gone into that with more lyrics there, but... Sonny's a nice name. You wouldn't be scared of a guy called Sonny. Sonny. Well, I will say... I love you. What's that? What is the song? <laughs> I think it's called Sunny. <laughs> I'm going to challenge that. Yeah. <laughs> so there was some 22-year-old uh, trash-talking kid saying he could beat the champ, mm. all this stuff. The odds against Clay was 7 to 1. 7 to 1. So no one really backed him. Uh, but to, uh, wow, before... that is long odds in a two-horse race, Jess Perkins. I'm not good at odds. I don't understand them at all. I think that is 7, seven to 1 means you get $7 if you put a dollar on. For every dollar you bet. Yeah. Which is crazy. That's a toss of the coin, you know, two yeah. possible results. Yeah, that, okay, now I understand what you mean. That is, that's like super long odds. In a two-horse race. Did you know I used to be a problem gambler? Really? Yeah. Hmm, you've done it all. Just feeling your way through life, I guess. Is that true? Ah, sort of. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we should, a gambling episode would be great. I'd bet on you, Matt. Always bet on Stu. <laughs> I thought that was going to rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's this good, if he's this good off stage, imagine how good he is on stage. Oh. No, that'll rhyme. Here we go. I'll, I'll get it with a sweet rhyme. <laughs> Always bet on Stu. There was a few seconds after I'm like, wait, what did I, how, did, how did that happen? What did I do? How did I muck that up? What is going on? What? Did, how did I think? Anyway. Hey, Matt. Matt, Matt maybe? Matt, just, no. Just an inkling, but you weren't a very good gambler, were you? <laughs> That was the problem, Dave. That was the problem. <laughs> he was trying to rhyme in the... I don't think problem gamblers are guys who won a lot of money. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah they call it a problem. Uh, they call it a career. <laughs> um, Clay taunted Liston during the pre-fight build-up, dubbing him the Big Ugly Bear. Okay. Call well, him a Big Ugly Bear. Come on. That's just that's don't, nasty. Don't poke the bear. He would say, Liston even smells like a bear. After right. I beat him, I'm going to donate him to the zoo. Oh, okay. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Trash talk is incredible. That is great trash. No, that's, come on. That's not nice. You don't talk about the champs like that. That's not, that's not pleasant. Unless you can back it up. Have some respect. Let Cl- your fists do the talking. Clay, least, so. while he let his bus do the talking, he purchased a bus and had it emblazoned with the words, Liston must go in eight. What the fuck? On the day of the contract <laughs> signing, bus. on the day of the contract <laughs> signing, he drove it to Liston's home in Denver, waking the champion with the press like in tow at three a.m. Shouting, "Come on out here! I'm gonna whoop you now!" It sounds yeah. like something out of a Will Ferrell movie. Yeah, that <laughs> does. <laughs> <doesn't it? laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like this happened in Talladega Nights, yeah. not in real and, uh, life. And apparently, that listen, is, that was, I mean, that is a very annoying thing to do. I'm also oh, imagine- you reckon you could beat me up now, now that you've just woken me up in the middle <laughs> of the also, night? I'm also and imagining been- that Ali uh, or Clay turns up and the, the horn on the bus is like... Get out here, bear! Or like... He's like, oh, you're being very annoying to my neighbours right now. And to me... Clay took to driving his entourage in the bus to a site in Surfside, Florida, where Liston, nicknamed the bear, was training and repeatedly called Liston Big Ugly Bear. Fucking hell. How about you spend less time stalking your opponent and abusing him and just training your dickhead? This is the boxings. This guy died two days ago. I just remembered that as I said that. No, it's fine. It's all part of his character. But I'm talking back then, dickhead. He's 22 and he's yelling this at the World Heavyweight Boxing Champions. Amazing. Just train. Just put your head down and train. Why are you... uh, You're you're assaulting a person. You're harassing them. Well... This is stalking. It possibly worked, Jess, because in six rounds, Clay won the fight in one of sport's biggest upsets and at 22 became the then youngest boxer to take the title from a reigning... Heavyweight world champ. Shit. That's amazing. So no one backed him. How old was Sonny at the time? Do you know? Uh, He would have been in his early 30s. Wow. Mike Tyson won. He's the youngest champ at 20. Wow. In the world heavyweight. Mike Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) I can make fun because I have a lisp, so it's fine. Oh, is is that how it works? Yeah, Yeah, it works. An eye for an eye, a lisp for a lisp. Lisp for a lisp. Sunny lift. I mean, mine's adorable, but Sunny. his is just fucking annoying. <laughs> oh, okay. So not all lists were. No, born they're not equal. born eagle. Oh, God. Oh, man, no. this is amazing. There is no record of Liston's birth. Oh, that's <gasps> cool. His family, but not Sonny Liston, can be found in the 1930 census, and in 1940, he was listed as 10 years old. So I guess it's 1930, which would have made him 34. 30, 34 yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> that's amazing, though. That's pretty cool. Uh, and then. Two days after becoming champion, Cassius Clay shocked the boxing establishment again by announcing that he had accepted the teachings of the Nation of Islam. And on uh, March 6, 1964, he took the name Muhammad Ali. Wow, okay. 64. 64. So just two days after becoming the champion, he's like, changing religion, and then I'm a couple Muhammad weeks later, changed his name. Great name. Such a great name. Yeah, Over the next three years, Ali dominated boxing and was undefeated. Wow. Including his rematch with Sonny Liston, where he knocked him out in the first round. Oh, oh that geez. would have sucked. For s- Imagine Sunny. being uh, like the best of your era, and then, and then some someone, guy comes along some and just kid, some mouthy kid. Yeah, and that's the thing; he's not even a good sport about it. So, you, you, like, the, would you respect him? Would you just be like, "Fuck, he's annoying"? It would make it hard to be like, "Well, I got beaten by the better man." Yeah. Like, no. One of the most famous and iconic photos of Muhammad Ali boxing is. I don't know, I'm not sure if you've seen it. You probably recognise if you saw it. It's Muhammad Ali sort of holding up his right hand, and then there's a body on the floor. That's Sonny Liston. Oh, oh that that kind of breaks my heart. Yeah, <laughs> poor Sonny. Yeah, but then in 1967, when the US was at war with, with Vietnam, Ali was called up for the draft. Citing his religious beliefs, Ali refused induction into the army. He said he had no quarrel with the Viet Cong, and this is a this is a quote. My conscience won't let me go out there, shoot my brother or some darker people or some poor hungry people in the mud for big powerful America and shoot them for what? They never called me the N-word. They never lynched me. They never put no dogs on me. They didn't rob me of my nationality, rape or kill my mother and father. 
How can I shoot them poor people? Just take me to jail. So powerful. Yeah. Wow. And so good. Although exemptions from military service on religious grounds were available uh, to qualifying uh, conscientious objectors who were opposed to war in any form, Ali sadly was not eligible for such an exemption because he acknowledged that he would be willing to participate in an Islamic holy war. Oh. So if you'd said that you wouldn't fight, like if you're like, I won't fight anyone... Which is kind of ironic for a boxer to say anyway, but... Yeah, true. I won't go to war. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. He said he'd fight in a holy war. Yeah. I won't fight, but unless it's a holy, holy war, war or my job. But I guess if... Yeah, that, that's the thing that I always go back to about religion. If you do really believe in a god, then I guess you would do... Like, you would do anything for it. But, I mean, what god do you believe wants you to fight in a holy war? Mm. My God, is you know, it's, it's all about love and peace and stuff, and killing people who disagree. <laughs> like so yeah. silly. Well, I think you find that many major religions yeah. have had that argument mm. over the last two thousand years. Uh, but Ali was systematic- systematically denied a boxing license in every single state and stripped of his passport and his heavyweight title. Wow! As a result, he did not fight from March 1967 to October 1970. <gasps> from, from 25 to 29, which, oh, is, the key years. which is many of his potential peak years. Yeah. So a lot of people say, imagine how good he would have been. Wow. That's a long time. Four years. And also to just to be out for that long and, and come back and be good again, which I guess he... Well, well, I mean, it's hard. you have a week off gigs and you come back a little rusty. Imagine four, four years off boxing. Boxing, yeah. Wow. And at that time, you'd been training your whole life and then suddenly mm. you've got to take four years off. Yeah, but I mean, he was still allowed to, you know, fight on the street and stuff, right? Well, he was still training, I assume, was he? Or was he not allowed to even do that? Well, in his own time, he could do what he liked. Sure. Yeah, imagine you can't, you can't stop someone training the street, in their garage. <laughs> Put down that skipping rope, mate. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey. What are you doing? Is that... Boxing-related exercise or just exercise exercise? (laughs) So is he out of jail or is he in jail all that time as well? Well, uh, he was criminally indicted in 1967, uh, convicted of refusing induction into the armed forces, and he was sentenced to five years in prison and uh, also fined $10,000. He he remained free on bail uh, until his conviction was unanimously overturned by the US Supreme Supreme Court, but that justice took four years. Can you imagine, though... Being in jail for that, you'd want to be in jail for murder or something. Just in terms of, I don't know, street cred, jail cred. Well, you know? I think coming in as the heavyweight champ, you got street nah, cred. No one's going to touch you. Okay, I excellent felt, point. Well, but isn't that, <laughs> I did kind of yeah. forget that we were talking about a boxing champion. <laughs> there is, that, hmm. he'd be the target. He'd be the one you'd take down, though, right? If you wanted to be big, take dog. down the Top biggest dog. guy. Prison rules. Interesting. But I, I don't know. I think that. I mean, you're the one who's been to jail, so you. <laughs> Just personally, I would I'd prefer to be in there for for someone I believe in like that rather than killing someone. But unless you, know, you believed in you, killing that person, that's you and I differ. What if I believed in killing that person? Do you, Jeff? Maybe I do, man. Be be true now. I'm to being yourself. true. Oh, you always get straight through me. <laughs> Cut through all those layers. That's yeah. how Matt def- uh, defended himself in prison. With mm. words. Yeah. <laughs> he had the biggest guys crying. See, Dave, yeah. I let him in. I opened up. I let him in. And see and what he did to you? Yeah. It's it's hard. It's hard to be exposed, but it's also so freeing. So thank you, Matt. No worries. Dave, one day I hope you can open up to us in the same way. But oh. hey, we're not going to force you. You've got to do it in your own time, right, Matt? Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. 
Yeah, I'm, I am. If you're listening at home, I'm looking at Matt. He is, I can confirm. Open up to us, Dave. This is a safe place. I already told you that I like Twix more than Twirl, and that's something that I've Dave, had Dave, struggling Dave, with over the last fortnight. Neither of you have blinked for a long time. It's unsettling. Open up to us, Dave. What do you feel right now? I feel like I would fight any holy war for you. Oh, oh wow. great. There you wow. go. That was really brave, Dave. Thank you. See, that, <laughs> see, Matt, good, that rhymed. <laughs> that was brave, Dave. Do you see what a rhyme is now? I, I mean, I, that was brave, Dave. Which bit of that rhymes? Oh, yeah. We'll keep working on it. Is it the br and He's the a mess, de? Jess. There it is. It's okay, buddy. We'll keep working on it. In the meantime, Dave, please do go on. I will say that um, just for context of this whole Vietnam objecting thing, so everyone looks back now and knows Vietnam's a big failure, but at the time, most Americans at the start of the war still supported the war, so Ali was derided by the mainstream, Mm. but he was heralded as a hero of the counterculture. Right. So a lot of people are hating him, and then some other people are loving him. The people who uh, loved counters... Counterculture, very good. I used to buy that magazine. <laughs> just a lot of photos of really nice counters. <laughs> uh, I might head off. Um, you guys right now. <laughs> Keep going. We'll carry on. Uh, one thing I found very interesting, you asked what he was doing when he was off for four years. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. During his time off from boxing, Ali starred in a Broadway musical no. called Buck White, in which he played the title character, Buck White. No. He did so to help pay his debts. Uh, Ali sang nearly every song in the musical. He played a militant black lecturer wearing a big fake Afro wig and a big false beard. Okay. Uh, And he was addressing a meeting organised by a black political group. And there's a video, which I will share, on YouTube of him singing a song from it on TV. Can he sing? He's okay. He's very articulate because he's very good with these rhymes and things. Sure. And he carries carries a tune. Better than than I expected. Wow. That's interesting. But after his four-year enforced break from boxing, Ali returned to the sport. So he did come back. He won his first two comeback matches and got himself a shot at the title that he was stripped of. So he hasn't lost any matches yet. He's just... He's never lost a match. But he's just had his... That's crazy. He's just had his championship taken away from him. So he, he still has claim to the championship. Yeah. So the fight was dubbed the fight of the century. It was him versus a guy called Smokin' Joe Fraser. Fuck off. Smokin' Joe. These names are out of this world. Both men at the time were undefeated. Ooh. Oh, and no. Somebody's got to get defeated. Oh, no. They're both so could... Fraser's like dominating in Ali's, Ali's absence. absence. Yeah. So uh. the title goes back up for grabs and Fraser's won in the, in the four years. There was the usual trash talk from Ali leading up to the event who said some particularly hurtful things, painting Fraser as a... Dumb tool of the white establishment, even though he's also a black man. And uh, he'd loaned money to Ali and spoken up for him during his four years away from his Oh, come on. And uh, Fraser would never forgive him. Oh, man. Well, he would come in and out. He would always criticize Ali. And Ali would apologize later on for the things he was saying. But the match, it was called the fight of the century. It was was so hotly anticipated that people couldn't get tickets. Even Frank Sinatra couldn't get ringside seats. Wow. So he chose to take photos for Life magazine just so he could get close to the fight. Frank did? Yeah, how cool is that? That's awesome. What? Frank Sinatra was like, I'll take some photos for you. Yeah, and in the... What? Early 1970s. He's a massive deal, so... That is outrageous. So it went the full 15 rounds, so no one knocked the other one out. But Joe Frazier won by decision. (gasps) It was Ali's first professional loss. Oh, my God. Where was this fight? The fight of the century? Is this in Vegas or something? Or 
These have them all over the world, but I've just looked it up. Fight of the Century, it was held at Madison Square Garden, New York City. Oh, very nice. So a massive, massive venue. Um, So Fraser won, so he got to keep the championship. Then he lost the title to a young fighter by the name of... Oh, let me have a guess. It'd be one of, is it the guy with the um the grill? Yes, George, George Foreman. Foreman. Yeah. So he lost the, the guy with to... the grill. I have his mix and go blender, and it's excellent. The George Foreman mix and go. Did you know he was a boxer? Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. A lot of my girlfriend had no idea. She goes, <laughs> "The grill guy." <laughs> that just shows the generation, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it totally does. So, uh, but hey, good on him because a lot of professional sports people really struggle once they've retired because it's like, well, what do I do now? Because a lot of them start quite early. They didn't get education. Like, yeah, that's all. The, and you have to retire in your early 30s. And yeah. it's like, well, what do it's I do like, for the I next do 45 years? Do I go to uni now? And so that's why a lot of them try and study through it. I think it's great that George Foreman had a successful boxing career and then has also gone on to have a successful entrepreneurial career. Good Lean, mean, grilling machine. Yeah, he knows how to grill and well, blend. We're going to talk about the grill. And the blender. I'll talk about the blender. Great. We can have a full 10-minute uh, review of the blender. Um, so I'm going to... A bit of background on George Foreman. George Foreman was born in 1949 in Texas, in Marshall. At age 19, he won a gold medal at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. Mm. He turned pro and quickly set his eyes on the heavyweight championship. By the time he earned his shot at the title in 1972, he too was undefeated. He had won 29 out of his 32 wins by knocking out the other opponent. Wow. Wow. It's crazy to have so many dominant forces at the one time. Do you reckon he would have been happy with those results? 100% success rate. Oh, it's 100% again. So it would be similar to the last one. which I'm just trying to remember. He was... He'd lost zero. And won all. And how um, do you reckon that would make you feel? Probably a bit empty. A bit empty? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you've got nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what is... Yeah, what's a high without a low? What is a high without a low? Wow. God, we're getting deep today. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I know. But see, I've only ever lost. <laughs> yeah. So, what's a, what's a low without a high, though? This is just my norm. Uh, exactly. Good question as well. So, you would feel just the same as they did, I imagine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just imagine that you'd knocked out 29 people. No, I've been, only been knocked out 29 times. Right. But I'd take it like a champ. Yeah, you take it like a champ. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but despite his record, Mr. George Foreman was an uh, underdog and not expected to win the match against Joe Frazier. Although considered by many to be so- somewhat slow and clumsy... Foreman was greatly feared for his punching power, size, and sheer physical dominance. So if you look at uh, Ali, he's a muscular guy, or people of that era, that, but they can. he's famous for his dancing and bobbing and weaving. George Foreman is just a massive dude. Really? Just stand and deliver kind of thing. Yeah, stands there and just goes, mm, 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 <laughs> and just like throws his arms and just knocks the shit out What's of people. What's that toy? The, 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 like the two boxing men in the ring? What's that game? Oh, yeah, what is that? Is, uh, that's what I'm imagining now when you say that. Like he, That's about as much movement as he has. It's just like punching arms. Uh, the fight between Foreman and Fraser took place in uh, Kingston, Jamaica. See, it's all over the world. Cool. And was called the Sunshine Showdown. Hello. See, that sounds lovely. And despite being the underdog, Foreman overpowered Fraser in just two rounds. He became the heavyweight champion at age 24. Wow. 24. So... Just to put it in context there, George Foreman just beat a guy that beat Muhammad Ali over 15 rounds in two rounds. 
Dave, we're 25. <laughs> what are we doing? What have we done? How many people have you knocked out, Dave? <laughs> yeah, Dave. Well, I could count them on two hands. Zero? Is it still zero? It's still zero. <laughs> Call him above. Call him above. He's just holding his hands in a little cup. Yeah, he's just, just making nothing. a really big zero. <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> None. What have we done with our lives? This sweet ass podcast. All it's right. Still time to franchise this into some sort of grill based. Mm. Yeah. The do grill on. Oh, that's pretty good. But ours comes, it makes it ha- have extra fat somehow. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Double, it adds the, double fat. the fat. Yeah, there's a fat device. <laughs> you pour in fat. <laughs> You're what's welcome. That, what's that? You got a lean steak? Put some fat on that. You're, You're welcome. Wel- You're welcome. Do grill on. <laughs> <laughs> That's our phrase. You're welcome. Do grill on. <laughs> it's like really smug. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> We're also, also, we've gained a lot of yeah. weight. Get some meat on them bones. Do grill on. You're welcome. <laughs> right? Not saying much? <laughs> Interesting. If we were on an episode of that Shark Tank show, would you be backing this idea? Would you be there pitching it with us, or would you be like, guys, I'm busy that day, but good luck? Yeah. No, no, that I'd, in my mind, that is a sure thing. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be going to Shark Tank and letting them get a piece of that sweet pie. <laughs> no way. We're that hunt- sweet pie with extra fat yeah. on it. Hey, we're going to delete this whole episode, stop the podcast and yeah. go make it. Yeah. yeah. can't believe no one's thought of this already. I'm embarrassed for humanity. Mm. <laughs> Idiots. Sorry, Dave. Well, no, that's fine. I'm, <laughs> man, I'm going to be a rich man by the end of this episode. Uh, George Foreman defended his championship twice, and then following his uh, loss to Fraser, Ali won ten fights in a row. So they're both on a sweet winning streak. Jeez. George still undefeated. Uh, Ali even had a rematch with Joe Fraser, and this time Ali won. Yeah. So the defeat of Fraser set the stage for a title fight against world heavyweight champion George Foreman. So whoever won out of those was going to be the number one contender. Right. And Ali smashed him. Cool. Did that have a cool name? There was another... So the Rumble in the Jungle is one of the really famous names, and there was one other one that had a great name. The Thriller in Manila. Ah, that's the one. Where was that? Uh, Melbourne. (laughs) Interesting. Ballarat. <laughs> Thriller oh, in Manila. I wish I'd said Ballarat. They really wanted to sell tickets. Frank Sinatra could get as many as he wanted. <laughs> he was not taking photos. Nah, so, it's probably in Manila though. No. Nah. Huh. The stage is set for the championship battle. Enter a then unknown boxing cr- promoter by the name of Don King. Mm-hmm. You guys know who Don King is? Yeah. I know him from... Is he parodied in The Simpsons? Yes, yeah. he's parodied on The Simpsons. Uh, Dredgery Tatum's manager, Lucius Sweet. Thank you, yeah. Who, if you're not familiar, guys, uh, Don King, imagine um, now a, a very old man with a uh, big sort of afro-y graying hair. So it goes from black to grey throughout the, throughout the afro. And uh, it looks like he's put his, like a knife in the electric socket, that kind of thing. So it's... Shut up. He's got, and he's got a... It's like his trademark look, and he often wears bling and stuff. And on The Simpsons, they t- take that to the extreme. Which is unlike The Simpsons. Hmm. Well, he's... Um, Don King's a really interesting guy, and I've actually thought about doing a whole episode on him. But uh, we'll just talk about him now. He seems like one of the most charismatic and yet dodgiest people ever. Great. I love those kind of people. He's worked with uh, most of the great boxers over the last four decades as a fight organizer, promoter, or their manager, and nearly all of them, and I'm serious about this, nearly all of them have sued him. <gasps> really? Yeah. After the first few, you'd think, maybe I won't sign with this yeah, guy. It's after very the... strange that like he so he managed Mike Tyson, yeah, and then Tyson sued him for multiple, mil- tens of millions of dollars. Wow. But by that time, he's already got this reputation. He's been around for 20 years. It's like, well, why didn't you learn Mike Tyson? Well, I know. And, yeah, um, Mike Tyson. <laughs> 
I would expect him to be making better decisions. Better de- <laughs> like, Mike Tyson <laughs> made a bad decision. I'm baffled. <laughs> but I've got to tell you that King, uh, before he was a boxing promoter, had a, already had a dodgy past. He started out by running an illegal bookmaking operation out of a record store's basement. Illegal books? Well, I never. <laughs> yeah, he was making books. Oh, jeez, I think that's a noble, like, when he's not all that, books are illegal, and he's like, well, no, people need books. Jeez, always, what is this, World War Two Germany? Am I right? Ugh, the book burning. Yeah, that's what He was more at. in a book binding. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck that one up. Well, so he, he makes books, right? He's an all right guy. But after being cleared of a 1954 murder charge, oh, okay. which a judge found to be justifiable homicide, as King shot a man who was robbing his gambling house, King was sentenced to prison in 1967 on a manslaughter charge for beating one of his employees to death. Mm. Yeah. Justifiable. But was Justin late again? Because Donna talked to him so many times mm. about that. Yeah. I was like, seriously, dude, if you... Like, if this is going to be a consistent problem, we can talk about you starting at 10 instead of 9 and you can stay till 6. Like, is that going to be a problem? And Justin was like, no, it's fine. I can be here at 9. I'm sorry. And then he just kept yeah. turning up at like 9.15. Yeah, these, uh, 9.30. Counterfeit like, copies of the Lord of the Rings aren't going to print themselves, Justin. Exactly. And you know what, Justin? If we add up all that time, by the end of the year, I've paid you for an additional, like, week that you haven't been here. Like, it's a, I know we're a family, Justin, but it's also a business. You know. So, uh, you know, justified. You can push it. You can push it and you can push it, but... Yeah, I feel like you're just taking the piss back. now. You're taking the piss and it's disrespectful. I imagine... And I'm going to have to beat you to death. And hand me that crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> no reason. No reason. Uh, <laughs> oh, you'll find out. <laughs> Unrelated conversation. Uh, well, that, sound, that must have been the parole pitch because he was paroled in 1971 after only four years mm-hmm. and King decided to enter the business of boxing. Sure. The next year, he persuaded Muhammad Ali to compete in a benefit exhibition to raise money for a Cleveland hospital. Aww. Great guy. Buoyed by his success and with Ali's encouragement, King became a full-time promoter. So Muhammad Ali's much to blame for him becoming a <laughs> boxing guy. Uh, he separately took contracts to Ali and Foreman that said if he could guarantee each boxer $5 million, that they would agree to fight. So he took a contract to one, then the other, and those got them both signed in. The problem was that five millions at the, five million dollars at the time is thirty million dollars now. Sweet Jesus! Okay, that's good money each, and this is U.S. dollars. So, King found it difficult to find financial backers. No one wanted to pay that much, but King, Weird. being the dodgy guy that he is, he looked where most other promoters hadn't thought to look. He approached the crazy African dictator of Zaire, Mobuto Seke Seso, who agreed to put the money out from his very, very poor country's treasury. Oh! So the fight was on. Oh. <laughs> and now, a bit of background on Mobuto Seke Seso uh, and his country, Zaire. Mobuto was born in then Belgian Congo in 1930. When Congo became independent in 1960, he was put in charge of the army. He's 30 years old. 30 years old. Another guy's a president. They've also got a prime minister. Matt, how many armies have you been in charge of? <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you yeah. mean do you count? What, do you, are we talking all All kinds. All kinds. Okay, I can count. I can count the amount on two hands. You're making it a zero again, aren't you? Yes, that's yes. my trick. That is my trick. <laughs> yeah, Trade- trademark. But what am I doing with my other hand? Your third hand. Giving Dave the finger, Matt. Stop it. Mm-hmm. 
You're a rude little boy. But that finger <laughs> next to the... Oh, that's, a, that's ten. I've okay, been in ten up. You, you I'm charge of ten armies. You're fibbing now, aren't you? Ten armies. Ten armies. No, what? You're fibbing. I'm not... Name well. them. Name the armies. Okay, sure. Um, the, uh, the green army. Fibbing. Anyway... The Salvation Army. No, you weren't ahead of the, the Salvation the Army. The Australian... You're being disrespectful now. Navy Army. The Australian Navy Army. The um, wow. shop fitters... And turners. And turners. Um, hey, that was a union. Um, That's not an u- army. Union Army. No. Oh, a Union Army. Okay. The um, Barmy Army. Barmy Army. Barmy Army. The... Genie um, Army. The, the Dami Army cheering on Dami M at the Eurovision 2016 competition. You were ahead of that no, one. No, that was I was a Dama and Greg fan, but Dama wasn't. Dama, Dama didn't run with Army, so I had to change it. I used to know how rhyming worked. Dama Armor. Dama Armor. <laughs> um, Banana Rama. The Dama Armada. The Dama Armoire. Armoire, which is just a cupboard. That doesn't count, does it? Well, if, if it's if it's a cupboard full of weapons. Wait, did you ask me to list Dharma-related things? <laughs> I forget the question. Dave. The Dharma Palmer. Dharma Palmer. Well, I think you're going to like this next sentence. So, um, Mobuto was in charge of the army. Oh, he was he right. I did like it. <laughs> I've liked all of the no. sentences but so then, far. But then, oh. in 1965, there was a coup. Ooh, a coup a d'etat. A coup d'etat, perhaps? <laughs> There's a note here that says, pause for Jess and Matt to say two-day coup d'etat. Remember how hard I had to work on that? The two-day coup d'etat. Two-day coup d'etat. Now, it just rolls. I purposefully didn't look into how long the coup took, just so, I don't know, let's assume it took two days. Two days. Also, how do you spell coup? C-O-U-P. Aha, yes. The chicken coup. That is what I thought. But then the... The coup day the coup two day coup d'état two de, coup d'état that spelling is trickier. Oh, it's different. I think that's what D E apostrophe T A T right? Coup d'état. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's like aren't there different um, and there's a there's accents a, and there's shit? a bar in Bali that's K U D E T A three separate words coup d'état great bar. <laughs> We're also sponsored by coup d'état. Is that, that in Kuta? No, I think it's Seminyak. Ah, so the joke isn't that they've put de in cooter. Hmm. I mean, it's a good joke, Dave. <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> copyright. <laughs> um, so Mobuto decided he would be president. Sure. He, then like a good friend, Super Marat Niazov, liked to rename things. Oh, I, thought, I thought he was going to become involved, but that, that was before his time. So he renamed the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which had only had that name for five years. He renamed it to the Republic of Zaire. Hmm. Then in 1972, he decided he was bored of his own name, so he changed it from Joseph Desiree Mobuto to Mobuto Sese Seko Koko Nembedu Wazabanga. Fuck, that's Which a great translates name. as the all-powerful warrior who, because of his endurance and inflexible will to win, will go from conquest to conquest, leaving fire in his wake. <laughs> that's that is a great that, name. And that is taken from the Encyclopedia Britannica, so that is real, my friends. That is amazing. And he decided he wanted everyone to have African names, so he ordered the people to drop their European names for African ones. And priests were warned that they would face five years imprisonment if they were caught baptizing a Zairean child with a European name. Wow. But baptizing was still cool. Oh, he's cool with that. Just as long as you call him something cool. Like I something guess African. Jesus was probably from closer to... Where, where is Jesus? 
You're the map boy. Where's Jesus from in terms of the map? What, Jerusalem? Yeah, where's Jerusalem? Is that closer to Europe or Africa? Oh, it's kind of right there in the right middle. In the there. middle. So, yeah, so that's fine. So that's funny. Fine. I think of well, I think of Christianity as a European thing because they're housed in the in, uh, in the Vatican. The Vatican, but I mean, Jesus wasn't an Italian man. Ah, oh, but if he was, <laughs> Mamma Mia, we'd be worshiping pizza. Oh, I do. Me too. Me too. <laughs> hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, Mobuto has been described as the archetypal African dictator and as the Stalin of Africa. Oh, boy. <laughs> His classic look was a grey abacost, which is known as a Mao suit, mm-hmm. like Chairman Mao, mm-hmm. so a very plain grey suit, thick-framed glasses, a walking stick, and a leopard-skin pointy toque hat. Oh, my God. So he sounds head. pretty cool. Yeah, he sounds <laughs> he... super cool. What I'm... a trendy guy. And over the years, Mobuto proved adept at maintaining his rule in the face of internal rebellions and attempted coups, coup d'etat. But his regime had little success in establishing the conditions needed for economic growth and development. He really wanted to kickstart the nation's terrible economy, but couldn't work out what he was doing wrong, despite the fact that he was embezzling billions for himself and became one of the richest people on the planet. But why is our economy not doing <laughs> why well? Why is my country doing well? Guys, I've got to go have a gold bath because I am just so stressed. Follow my lead, guys. Takes just be just... rich. <laughs> he, um, he, extend, he paid lots and lots of the country's money to extend the... Very poor countries, airports, so Concorde planes could land, so he could charter them, so he could fly to Paris for shopping trips. He's a really bad dude. Mm. Or really great. <laughs> dude. Nah, bad person. Yeah, right. bad person. Nah, good call. 
but with lots of frequent flyer miles. Yeah, which is great. So handy. Yeah, I mean, how do you, in the end, how do you judge what a good person is? Mostly on frequent flyer points, to be honest. Well, that's how I that's, would judge. If that's the case. <laughs> he's, he's probably one of the best. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Mabuta, he thought he could improve his country's image by hosting the bo- boxing match, mm-hmm. and he told Don King that he would pay $10 million in prize money. So a lot of money for a very poor country. Ali said at the time, some countries go to war to get their names out there, and wars cost, cost a lot more than $10 million. Well, that's a good point. I mean, you know, he was worried about his economy, but it seems like he's making some pretty savvy economical decisions. Mm-mm-mm. So that so that provides $10 million, and each fighter's promised five. What's in it for Don King? How does he get his cut? Oh, he would get he a sells sweet, the he, broadcasting rights or something. So he would get a sweet, sweet cut of that and the broadcasting rights, yeah. So he started off like his own production company and all this extra stuff to right. have his finger in every single pie. He sold, he sold hot dogs. He yeah, sold oh, hot dogs a... at the match. That's where he got his... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll do it. Mm. Yeah, and he charged... Lucrative. Char- Lucrative dogs. Char- charged double for sauce. Oh, yeah. Does that, does that rhyme? Lucrative dogs. No, we'll go through rhyming another time. Let let Dave do his nice little report. Uh, there were signs all around Zaire that, uh, erected by the... or paid for by Mobuto. It said, A fight between two blacks in a black nation organised by blacks and seen by the whole world. That is a victory for Mobutoism. Okay. Oh. All right. Mobuto, however, was not happy with King's original tagline for the fight, which was... From the slave ship to the championship, oh. which is terrible. So the promoter cha- uh, rebranded it as Rumble in the Jungle. Rumble in oh. the Jungle is better. You were right. This guy's—he's got something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He—he makes some he, some good calls. Rumble in the Jungle—that almost rhymes. Rumble in the Jungle. It does almost rhyme. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, getting, You're getting it. Getting warmer. The fight was scheduled for September twenty fifth, nineteen seventy four. And Foreman and Ali spent much of the middle of the year training in Zaire, getting acclimatised to its tropical African climate. It was very sticky and wet. (laughs) Oh, God. Come on, Jess. I didn't say anything. I I breathed, Dave. I have to breathe. Sorry. Mate. You're not the first to ask me to stop breathing, but you know what I said to the others? Okay. (laughs) And so I did, and then I black out, and my body just takes over, and I breathe automatically. Because she's very polite, Dave. Stop projecting your insecurities onto her, or whatever you were just doing there. Thanks, mate. Stop reading into the breath. Your body's sick. Your body's sick, dog. (laughs) Go, you better go to the vet, you sick dog. It might be time to put you down, you sicko. You sick dog. Frothing at the mouth, you're a sick boy. You're a sick boy. Let's get him to the vet. The 24-hour vet, we need to get you checked out. Get your shots. <laughs> you sick dog. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> we, just, we just let him go. I know, I just really let you go. There's a real point where you just you just lean back and just let Matt talk. And it's, you're like, how's he going to bail himself out of this one? Yep. Just, I decided to dig. <laughs> I'm going to dig my way out. <laughs> I'll keep talking. I'll find something. No, I like, I like no, that confidence. That's no, good. No, yeah, that's, that's not it. That's confidence. not it. That's confidence. not it. <laughs> confidence uh, akin to Muhammad Ali there. Oh. So Ali was a very endearing figure to the people of Zaire, and his mind games uh, turned out well, turning the Congolese people in his favour against Foreman. Mm. 
He would make speeches about how he was returning to his African people and convince them that he was fighting for them. When Ali flew to Africa, he couldn't believe that the whole crew, including the pilots, were black. And there's footage of him making one of his famous speeches from the cockpit. Yeah, he's super excited. He's like, I can't believe I'm on a plane. And the pilot's like, that's great, but I'm trying to fly a yeah. plane. <laughs> Seriously, he's in the cockpit sitting behind the pilot so going, if you could just... I am the greatest, and just going through all this. He's probably so like, if you could just right, quiet okay. down a little bit. Well, no, no, no I'd like, I'm happy to have a chat, but I just need to just say a couple of things to the co-pilot. Yeah. We are trying to fly a plane. This is a 14-hour flight, and you've been talking for the first seven. If you um, could just... Okay. I mean, there's a meal. Did you want to go eat something? Like, we are trying to... I'm, I appreciate that you're here. It's nice, but we do have work to do, Okay. <laughs> oh, yes, I know you're the champ. I know. I Jeez, know. You've, you've said it 30 times in the last hour. Fucking hell, this guy. Have you, have you got... I just remember there was a movie, mm-hmm. big biopic. Did you guys see that? I haven't. I was thinking about that before. I haven't seen it either. With Will Smith, right? Yeah. He won, I, did he, he won some awards for it? Or? No, he's nominated for an Academy nominated. Award. Mm. Do go on. Champ is here. Yeah. Uh, until Foreman arrived, many Congolese thought that uh, George Foreman was a white man. With the name so, like George so, Foreman. Ali's like already world famous and sort of seen as this figure outside of boxing as well because of his because of his campaigning for rights and that kind of stuff. Mm. But they didn't really know George Foreman that well. When uh, Foreman arrived, he brought his German shepherd dog with him, but this offended locals as the Belgians who had settled and controlled Congo and treated them really badly. For many, many decades, they used German shepherds as police dogs. So, oh. strike one against you, Foreman. That is unlucky. Unlucky. Don't bring your sick dog here. <laughs> <laughs> you sick... Hey. You know, etc. <laughs> Ali would travel around Congo drumming up support for himself whilst Foreman kept more to himself and trained quietly. So, he's, so he was, more at the time, more of a quiet, brooding mm-hmm. character. And mm-hmm. Ali's just non-stop talking. He really came out of his shell when it came time to grilling. Yeah. Yeah. When it was time for grilling, it's time for thrilling. <laughs> uh, Foreman's punches, though, when he was training, were so hard that after 15 minutes of punching bag training... The heavy bag was either split open or there's a, a massive dent left in it. I've, there's a video of it. He just goes whack, whack, like with his, his fists. And then he steps back. And you know how hard boxing... Really hard. And these are like the hardest ones for a heavyweight guy. <laughs> and there's just a dent in it. No. It's scary. Wow. Uh, apparently he hated Zaire. And according to his biography by George... Great title. Oh, my God. God, yes. <laughs> one of the reasons Ugh. one of the reasons he hated the country was because it didn't have cheeseburgers. No, that's a fair. Mm-hmm. Love you, George. A popular chant leading up to and during the fight from the locals was Ali Bomaye. Ah, Ali I've heard of that. Bomaye, which means Ali kill him. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> and Ali would often lead the chants himself. Of course he would. <laughs> He'd see a camera crew and go, oh, awesome, awesome. He'd see a bus full of locals and just go out to the bus and start shouting it, and then they join in, of course. God, he's a cocky bastard. Oh, yeah. It's all mind games, though. It's all mind games. Yeah. Uh, In addition to the fight, a three-day-long music festival was organised in Kinshasa, the city hosting the event, which is the capital of the Congo. Mm Mm-hmm. And Zaire. This event was called Zaire 74. It combined music from both black American musicians and local African music groups. It was meant to be a major promo- promotional event for the fight, like a big three-day party leading up to it. And it was also intended to present and promote uh, racial and cultural solidarity between African Americans and African people. Cool. 
The intended audience was meant to be foreign travellers, so people coming in. It was another way for Mobuto to show off his country. Like, oh, yeah, man. cool. And the lo- I mean, the locals couldn't afford tickets to a thing. Yeah, nothing, yeah. But George Foreman cut his eyebrow whilst training. The fight had to be postponed for six weeks. What? To heal. Because if you have an injury like that, you take two punches to it and just uh, p- pisses blood. Especially head wounds. They bleed like Yeah, like heaps. And that'd sort of be the Tiny end of the fight. Tiny cut on your head and it'll just bleed. Fearful that Foreman would never return, Mobutu refused to let him leave the country for treatment. Oh, he was wow. like, no, we'll, we'll treat you here. That's weird. Six weeks. That's really interesting. He must have, like, it must have been a fairly decent cut. Yeah, it must have been pretty bad, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, if it's six weeks, he's done some damage. Which, and you also can't train properly because you can't spar with because they punch same him in the thing, face. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, the music festival's IA-74 was unable to be moved and lost out on its international audience. It still went ahead with 80,000 locals attending. Wow. That's a huge festival. Huge. Yeah. Musicians that appeared as part of the festival, which the locals had no idea who they were. Boys to men. Boys to men. Wait, what year is this? Bit early. 1974. Bit early for boys. All famous black musicians. And anyone we would uh, would know? Earth, Wind. I wish. Earth, Wind and Fire. And Fire. (laughs) Chic. James Brown. Oh, Oh, wow. Sick. And um, you see videos of him. He's got a a mustache at the time, which I've never seen on James Brown before. Jackson 5. No. No. Ray Charles. No. Uh, You're going to be disappointed now. Uh, B.B. King. Oh, cool. The blues legend. We were not disappointed. And uh, and Bill Withers. Oh. Which is very cool. And also a lot of uh, other local groups coming together. That is cool. Yeah, it is cool. 80,000 people. That's huge. Yeah. Cool. Uh, At first, when the uh, the fight was cancelled, Ali freaked out. He wanted to go home or he was like, get Joe Fraser out here for a rematch. I'll get paid less money. Pay him less money. It's all good. Uh, he didn't want to hang out in Africa for another six weeks. I love it here. I love it. Uh, I love it. What? I'm a, six weeks? No. I'm goes, oh, get me out of here. <laughs> get me out of here. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. <laughs> and that's where that came from. It's not working, mate. We don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, well, he was 30 years too early. 40 years too early. <laughs> I told what, you he was ahead of his time. What a bloody, what a bloody tycoon. Uh, but eventually he agreed to stay and he spent the six weeks training hard. So, here are the stats before the fight. Mm -hmm. At 25, the younger and stronger foreman seemed an overwhelming favourite against the well-worn, now 32-year-old Muhammad Ali. Some bookmakers were betting 40 to 1 odds against Muhammad Ali. Why are the bookmakers betting when they should be busy making bloody books? (laughs) Mm. Mm. Jeez Louise. Got an answer for that? Mm? Why are they making books? Oh, unless they're make, unless they're placing bets in their free time, because you know, booking, making books yeah. is a nine to five. Everyone kind of deserves a bit of leisure. No, absolutely. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was very judgmental. What of me. if they're placing bets in the books they've made? Well, that's just vandalism, and uh, my primary school librarian would not have a bar of that. Mm. Okay. okay, just just a question, Jess. Good, yeah. You know how I feel about books. I though. know. <laughs> uh, Foreman. Good. Is it good about? It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's pretty good. Uh, George Foreman had 40 fights and zero losses. Wow. 37 of which were by knockout. Wow. So, nearly nearly every time he knocked the other fighter out. That's really good. There uh, we go. There we go. Now he's getting it. Ali, by this time, had had 44 fights, but he'd lost two. That's still not bad. lost two. That's still pretty great. And they were to Frazier and Foreman? No, he hasn't fought Foreman. He hasn't fought Foreman. Uh, He... 
in a controversial decision, he in a decision match, mm-hmm. he lost and uh, when another fighter broke his jaw during the match. Oof. Yeah, you, you shouldn't. I reckon that. It feels like that. That's that's you're the, a winner. That's the winner. Yeah, if you break their jaw. All right. Um, first, we, who's knocked out? None of you. Okay, who's got a a jaw that can yeah. still work? Who can eat food? Who's got, who's got the worst owie? <laughs> As you sit down. All right, I want you to eat this meat pie. Yep. Winner gets the championship, and Al is like, oh fuck. And then and he's like, can't open wait, the wait, wait. It's a chunky meat pie. No. <laughs> My championship. <laughs> Don, Don King's and makes them buy the Curse pie. you, Chunky Beef. Curse you, Chunky Beef. <laughs> Curse you, Chunky Beef. Ali, boom away. Curse you, Chunky Beef. Really thought that would catch on. <laughs> uh, Ali had won 44. So he'd won 42 or 44 fights, 31 by knockout. So they both got a great knockout record. Yeah. Both men stood at six foot three. Oh, same height. Foreman weighed 100 kilos. Uh-huh. Ali, 98 kilos. Okay. That's, they're, they're very similarly matched. Mm. And six, so if you three, look at them... But you have Foreman, to be. Like, you're in the same weight division. So why is Ali giving away... Why doesn't he put two kilos of muscle on? Because Foreman is, like, huge. Right. He just wouldn't want to be that big. And Ali is not as thin as he... W- and, uh, and light on his feet when he was younger. Right. So, so he needs to when be he, trimish. And when he's returned from, mm-hmm. from his four years away, he's n- not as quick as he used to be. Fair enough. By a long shot. And that's why people are saying... Some people were really worried that Ali was putting his... Going to ruin his great, reputa- his great reputation. Like, this would be it for him. Yeah. Mm. And he's the whole time saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill George. I'm going to smash him. Has a lot he, of people were like, he's just saying that. He's obviously very scared. Yeah. Yeah. Has he done the, the famous uh, float like a butterfly line yet? Yes, he's... Yes, that was when he was uh, younger. Yeah. And the float like a butterfly, sting, sting like, like a bee. bee. Yeah. I saw there was, you know, um, um, Anthony Mundine, Australian mm-hmm. boxer, champion boxer. Yeah. His dad was on on a sports show when I was a kid, and he was talking up Mundine ahead of a fight, and it was, <laughs> and it was live TV, and he and he sort of. I think he was trying to go for something like that, but he, you could see like he got halfway through and realised he hadn't left himself anywhere to go or that he just mucked it up. And he goes, he goes he's going to float like a bee and sting like a fly. <laughs> really? Oh, no. no, no, no. This is his dad. Yeah. His dad. dad. Just, just imagining my dad trying to trash talk. And it is so good to imagine. I think he end, yeah. I think that might have been leading up to the uh, the Danny Green fight, which he did win. But yeah, oh, I don't so think it dad, was. Ma- dad had a point. <laughs> See, my dad was right. I do sting like a fly. Fuck, that's still uncool. <laughs> God damn it, Dad! I told you not to do any press. <laughs> why? Why are you on Fox Sports, Dad? Yeah, stop it! Stop going on Fox Sports. <laughs> you know that's my favorite channel. <laughs> Um, my favourite Muhammad Ali quote, which is about George Foreman and leading up to this fight, is um, I done wrestled with an alligator, I done tussled with a whale, I handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalised a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. That's, that's a really sweet little, <laughs> it's great, little, isn't it? little poem. <laughs> so he does, he's spouting these poems all the time, but most people are like, you're going to get destroyed by this guy who's 
Not did saying he, anything back. Did he have a writer? Or he come came up with it all himself? <laughs> no, he's thinking this stuff himself. Oh, where does he get like the, the time? Totally these days, anything like that, I reckon it'd be like, they'd have a speech whole team. Writer. You'd yeah. have someone in yeah. your entourage would be there. Do you reckon <laughs> Mundine's dad had a speech writer? <laughs> <laughs> no. Stick like a fly. Come on. Come on, Mr. Mundine. They'll lap it up. Therein lies the problem. He did not have a speech <laughs> oh, writer. No. That's so good. So, yeah, he's, he's a great fighter and a... Wordsmith. Of, Wordsmith as well. What a guy. What a guy. Oh, Imagine being able to be able to do one of those things. <laughs> I'll take any of them. Imagine having a skill, let alone two. Yeah. Anyway, I'll learn rhyming one day and we'll, maybe I can, you know, end up uh, writing poems that make me as powerful as a um, fly. What the fuck? Fuck. I murdered a rock. So good. <laughs> Murdered a rock. Handcuffed lightning. Handcuffed lightning is That's brilliant. That's cool, yeah. yeah. so good. But the other one is um, when he talks about, uh, last night I turned the lights off and I was in bed before the room was dark. <laughs> that's fast. That is really No, fast. that's impossible. Oh, no, hang on. No, 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 no. In my, here we, here we go. In my bedroom, I've got a light switch above my bed. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, a bit of insight. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fans will be able to the... build a shrine to your bedroom. Because there's a main light. Which is like the the the, uh, the switches over by the door. You talking about in our bunk bed, Jess? I think yeah, we know. in our bunk bed. Well, the listeners don't. Okay. And then there's also a light on my wall above my bed that has a control just underneath it. So it's like a lamp built into the into wall. into the wall because it was my parents' room and then they renovated. You know how like parents put in those sorts of features? Yeah, I was, I was thinking that. I'm like, yeah, I've never... this is not something that I've done. This is just it was came with the room. <laughs> I demanded it <laughs> when I moved in at zero. Came with the room. It was my parents' room. What uh, Muhammad uh, Ali didn't mention is that his light was a clapper. <laughs> there it is. That's the laugh. That's the laugh. <laughs> I was in bed before the lights went out. I'm in bed. I'm ready. Good night. <laughs> night. I imagine Muhammad Ali said night. I'm going to handcuff lightning. Got it. <laughs> Such a great character. He's, He's so, so funny. Good. Uh, so the fight finally took place after this six-week wait on October 30th, 1974 at the 20th of May Stadium, which was named... I've seen two sources. <laughs> I thought you just had like a brain fade there. <laughs> That's what it's called. It's called the 20th of May. It was called the Stadium Dead because they speak French. T- May. It's only open one day of the year. You'll never guess which it's day. either named... Christmas. Mabuto either named it that because that's the day he seized power or that's the day that it was first opened. I saw two sources. Mm. I enjoyed them both. <laughs> both he does good. have a little bit of uh, the Turkmen Bashi yeah, about it. Yeah, definitely. He was the Turkmen Bashi before anyone knew what that was. Yeah. Wow. Uh, insiders say that Foreman and his handlers actually prayed in his dressing room before the fight that Foreman would not kill Ali. Oh, so high was the anticipation that Ali was simply no match for Foreman. Wow. Whilst over in Ali's dressing room, the mood was apparently like a morgue. No one, not even his team, thought he could beat Foreman. Jesus. Uh, both of, I feel like both of those attitudes are bad for Ali. Like, I mean, not bad for, yeah, the, no fighter. Shit. for the fighter. So George Foreman going in thinking, I hope I don't kill him, is not a good vibe to no, go yeah, in before cause... you're going to try and knock a guy out. Mm. Yeah, you'd, you'd hold back, wouldn't you? Because yeah. you'd be panicking you're going to murder a man. Hmm. Um, so Ali's team, they knew he'd been 
saying for weeks how he was going to crush Big George and his usual trash talk, but no one actually believed it. Ali walked into the dressing room and picked up on the vibe and said, What's wrong with all of you? And to get himself pumped up as much as anything, he started asking, What am I going to do out there? I'm going to dance. What am I going to do out there? And he was pointing to his team, team members. They're saying, You're going to dance. You're going to dance. And he's saying that into the mirror to pump himself up. And then one of them's just like, For fuck's sake, dude, you're supposed to be fighting, not dancing. Fucking. The this, dancing concert is next week. This is embarrassing. He's doing up his tap dancing shoes. <laughs> gonna dance. Like, no. Tippity tippity tap tap tip tap. Oh. And then they're just thinking, fuck, he is gonna die. But God, it'll be beautiful. His his tippity tap is better than anybody's. That's a tip top tippity tap. Uh, the fight started at 4am. Why? So it- Sorry, that was loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why? The fight to attract a nighttime TV audience in the USA. That's a terrible time, it's, though. To me, it's very strange that they have to go all the way to Africa to find someone willing to pay for the boxes, but then the US people are still like, no, 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 we want to watch it. Yeah. But do you, remember, um, do you remember a few years ago during the Australian Open when, uh, who was it, um... Bernard Tomic was complaining that the game went too late. It was past his bedtime and he couldn't play well because it was such a late game. Do you remember that? Does that ring a bell at all? Uh, that sounds like that piece of shit, in my opinion. <gasps> How dare you? How dare you? Right? So, like, 4 a.m. is not a good time no, that's for right. them to, to it, start fighting. If it's good enough for Muhammad Ali, it's too good for Bernard Tomic. <laughs> oh, wow. You've done a Perkins and gone. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Bernie. Fuck you. He does okay. this thing where he gets really riled up, where he like pulls his bottom lip over his teeth, like. <laughs> I cheer when that guy loses. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is, come on, Dave. This is kind of intimidating and confronting and sexy. Yeah. Is this what it's like when I turn on people? Yeah, yeah. it's very similar. Wow. We feel all those things. Wow. Just remember, I've got zero knockouts under my belt. So yeah. watch out, Bernard Tomic. <laughs> <laughs> Would you guys? This is this is so we're over there in the jungle, right? Yep. Ready to rumble? Mm-hmm. You got two options here, and I think this says something about a person. Is four a.m. a big night, or is it an early morning for you? Big night. Big night. Actually, it's both. I get Hang up. On. I get up at that time for radio. What would you do in that case, though? Would you go as I'm a gonna, spectator? I'm going. I'm yeah. If it's oh, Sunday, mo- Sunday morning at four a.m., are you going? This is a big Saturday night, or are you going, well, I'm going to have to have a quiet Saturday night? Nah, big Saturday night. If I'm in Zaire, big Saturday yeah, night. It's got to be a big Saturday, doesn't it? Stay up be. for it. Rather than, it's like when the World Cup, the Soccer World Cup, I remember staying up for that. I don't even like soccer, but I did it. You did it. And, you know, we all respected you. We did it. For it. <laughs> we did it. We did it. <laughs> I'd get up at 4 a.m. to watch Bernard Tomic lose. <laughs> gotcha! <laughs> Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it, Bernie? You and your $10 million can fuck off. Oh, this is so hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, thing about, the thing about Bernie is I, I always feel like that's the point is he, he doesn't give a shit, right? It doesn't seem like he cares that he loses. Yeah, nah, but when I start trash talking, people start listening. <laughs> I handcuff lightning. Got it. Got it. Hear that, Bernie? That's what you say when you you get a mosquito. Gotcha, Bernie. <laughs> I pretend mosquitoes are Bernard Tomic. Uh, for our international listeners who don't give a shit about Bernard Tomic, or for our local yeah, listeners, he's a tennis player who's like a young brat who's like 
thinks he's God's gift, but he's like 30 in the world or something. It's like, come on, mate. All right, where are you in the world, Dave? 31, so I'm on, hot on his heels. <laughs> you could, like, the racket would be bigger than you. I played tennis when I was growing up. I gave it up. Because your hands are too small to grip the racket? Some say that. <laughs> what do the others say? Some say I was, I was bigger than tennis. No, the racket was bigger than you is what they said. When you, yes, I think that. You're confusing the... Yep. Yeah, there it is. Rose-coloured glasses ruin everything. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my big rematch with Bernard. 15 rounds of tennis. You'll get him Monday, buddy. I'll get, I'll get him by decision. You'll get him. So we're back at the fight. It's 4am or 4.30 by the time the fight gets going. Still 60,000 fans have packed the stadium. Now, if we're talking 4.30, no, I'd, I'd sleep. Yeah, that's, that's a difference. the threshold. Uh-huh. That's the difference. See, I reckon they open gates at 4am just to keep you awake. Yeah, okay, good on you. I reckon I reckon 7am is my threshold. If it's a 6 or 6.30 fight and I'm overseas for a big sporting event, I'd reckon I'm going. I, the, the one time I, I remember... Can you enjoy it? I, went, I, I was in um, Prague for the AFL Grand Final a few years back mm. oh. and it was a similar decision. Made, it was like a 4am start. Made the pilgrimage to Prague to watch the big, <laughs> yeah. the big match. That classic pilgrimage that yeah. people make. Yeah, I know. And it was, it was crazy how many people were there. Did you have to, to find a bar? We, we like, found an, an English pub. Mm. Which is, it makes sense sort of that, makes sense, yeah. but yeah, right? And they played it and it was packed. Awesome. Packed. Mostly with expats or people that just wanted to I drink? I think mainly expats, yeah. Cool. That's great. Which is, yeah, it seems a bit random. But I guess, you know, any city there's going to be you know, 50 or 100 Australians who are dumb enough that want to watch. It was a classic game. Um... I think. <laughs> I love the confidence. You don't know because it was far too late slash early. Yeah. Anyway, Dave. Ended up that night. Well, like we stayed up all night and then we're like walking home and out from this bar. The sun was up by the stage. Out from this bar, Frank Sinatra was blasting, and we're like, oh, one more, one more pint before bed. Went in and spent the next few hours in there. We got home at midday or something. <laughs> Great. What a mad dog. What a mad dog. And that's why they call him the chairman of the board. Yeah. Cause he, he really sucks you in. Yeah, and he was just in there playing, just playing a few tracks. Taking some photos. You know what he's like. like yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. A couple of selfies. He was, yeah, the bouncer said, sorry, mate, not in those shoes. And he came back with a camera. And they, yeah, they're like, yeah, no worries, mate. If you're here for, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going with you. I really was. Uh, Mabuto Seco Seso. The dictator watched the fight from his palace. Of course he did. Apparently, he didn't even go to the match. Apparently afraid that people were going to assassinate him. Well, yeah. probably a fair. But a fair don't worry. worry because a giant portrait of him hung at the stadium <laughs> to represent him. Oh, thank goodness. Like, like huge. Like, like a massive billboard of his face. Wow. Wearing the hat. The leopard print ah. hat. And the glasses. Do you have, right. there, are there photos of him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to tweet one of those. Always wearing the outfit. So Amazing. good. Mm. I wonder how many suits he has. Like, he probably just has heaps of grey ones. If I, Am I picturing it right? It's like the Dr. Evil suit from Austin Powers. <laughs> yes, that is actually the kind of suit. Yes. <laughs> That's perfect. But, but imagine, the... imagine that with a leopard print hat and now you've got oh, the whole look. Man. And thick frame glasses. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Gary. He was a bad man. What a babe. Uh, well, here's a bit of info about it. He allegedly rounded up a thousand of Kinshasa's leading criminals before the fight and held them in rooms underneath the stadium. Why? They're like these little holding pens. And allegedly, people say that he executed 100 of them at random Why? to make his point uh, because he wanted the city to be crime-free for the event because all the press were there. 
and he wanted the city to look safe. Jesus. And unsurprisingly, the city was almost crime-free that whole weekend. Yeah, because he killed them all yeah, off. They were I really mean, terrified. the only wow. crimes that were committed were by him, by the sound yeah, of it. him against humanity. Lead by example, dude. Jeez, Louise. I say um, the World's Press were there. Author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Hunter S. Thompson. Mm. Uh, he was sent to cover the event for Rolling Stone magazine, which is also what he was supposed to be covering the Mint 400 motorcycle race when he wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas instead. Nice. Uh, he was sent there to cover it, though according to Time magazine, Thompson chose to float in his pool a bottle of hooch in like hand. Like a butterfly? Like a, with a bottle of hooch in his hand while the great fight took place and he was unable to write anything about the event. That's so great. That's so great. He went all the way to Africa. And he's like, meh. Oh, at 4.30am he just stayed oh, in the yeah, pool. Oh yeah, good point. It was 4.30 in the morning. Oh, Hunter S. Thompson. Ali came out first in a white robe, followed by George wearing red. It's because they just got out of bed. <laughs> wearing... He's Quick. got his little slippers on. Ali, wake up! The fight! Oh, oh shit! He's got his little bunny slippers on. This is the hotel. Little... Oh, he's all sleepy. He's in his little jammies. He is. He actually looks like he's wearing a dressing gown. Oh, he's all sleepy in his little jammies. He's had a big old sleep. Before the two even touched gloves, Ali, Ali was already trash-talking George. Who That's looked, so unlike him. Who looked angry. So the ref is trying to explain the rules because they have to do that at the start. And uh, while they're doing that, Ali is just constantly yelling. He's like, all right, that's enough. Like, we've got, you've got to touch gloves. So he's already pissing <coughs> off a dude that's way bigger and stronger than he was. Ali came out dancing in the first round and Foreman went right at him. Ali made use of the right-hand lead... Catching Foreman several times, which I'm not that big on boxing, but that is a strange thing to do. So he um, oh. led with his right hand, which caught Foreman off guard. Before the end of the first round, however, Foreman caught up to Ali and began landing a few punches of his own, and his punches are way mm. stronger. This is when Ali realised he needed to change his game plan. At the beginning of the second round, remember there's supposed to be like 15 of these, at the beginning of the second round, Ali went and leaned with his back on the ropes and covered up to protect himself, letting Foreman just punch at him. What? So he's leaning backwards on the ropes. You imagine like someone just yeah, yeah. relaxing. So the ropes are holding his weight. And, and then he just sort of covers up his body and Foreman's just laying into him. What? And so while he was doing this, Ali would occasionally fire back with his own shots to, fi- to uh, stop himself being disqualified. Because if you, yeah, you can't just... If you look like someone's kicking the shit out of you, the ref goes, well, this is not okay. Yeah. So every now and then he... Fires a punch back to look like, I'm still in the match, still in the match. The plan was to let Foreman punch himself out. A strategy Ali later famously dubbed the Rope-A-Dope. So smart. Rope-A-Dope. I reckon I knew that phrase so long before I knew what it meant. So what, he's just hoping that, he, that Foreman just tuckers himself out? Yeah, is so that the, the idea? So <laughs> the idea of the Rope-A-Dope strategy is by lying against the ropes, the ropes allow much of the punch's energy to be absorbed by the ropes. Sure. So if you just punch someone, even if they deflect it, it like shakes their whole body and goes yeah. into their spine and makes you tired. But if they just punch you while you're against the ropes, not regular people couldn't do it. But Ali had been training up and letting people pummel him and what in training. So he was sort of used to taking a beating. So he just just could take it, just take it. But his corner had no idea what he was doing. Get away from the ropes, Angelo Dundee. His trainer <laughs> later. Angelo uh, Dundee, fucking great name. <laughs> what a great name. So he's like, what the fuck's this guy doing? Um, later he said, when he went to the ropes, I felt sick. At the end of the second round, Dundee implored Ali to stay off the ropes. Ali waved him away and said, I know what I'm doing. Wow. 
I didn't really plan what happened that night, Ali later said, but when a fighter gets in the ring, he has to adjust accordingly to the conditions he faces. Against George, the ring was slow. Dancing all night, my legs would have got tired. And George was following me too close, cutting off the ring. So everywhere he went, he just backed him into a corner. In the first round, I used more energy staying away from him than he used chasing me. So between rounds, I decided to do what I did in training when I got tired, which is this retreat. Foreman spent all his energy throwing punches throwing punches and I will say it's very hot so it's like, sure yeah 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 and uh, most of them were blocked by Ali or didn't land properly so he's not getting too injured when Foreman did land flush Ali was able to take it because he's a bad motherfucker wow but to people watching both at ringside at home it looked like Ali was just having the absolute shit kicked out of him and barely responding so they would just see a guy leaning against the rope Big guy smashing him in every t- 10 punches just go one back. Far out. People were actually worried that he m- they might be watching him being killed. So, And I imagine at this stage, if it was on points, then Foreman would be well ahead. Oh, easy. Yeah. Wow. Because he's landing like 10 punches. So he's on, like he's, he's only, from here, his only way I've, out is a knockout. I've got to knock this guy out. Right. But what the, the people at home couldn't hear was Ali continuously trash-talking Foreman. <laughs> Foreman was pummeling Ali, and when they got close, like they would, they get into a clinch, which is when they get locked. Mm. Ali would whisper in his ear, "Is that the best you got, George? Harder, sucker, swing harder. You're the champion. They told me you could punch. Wow. This was designed to fire up and piss off Foreman, so he'd spend all of his yeah. energy, and it worked. In the fifth round, Ali suddenly landed a combination on an increasingly tired Foreman, and when he got hit, so you watch in the video, um. He gets hit and his head fl- fires back, Foreman, um, and sweat flies off it. This is when you start to realise, oh, this guy might be tired because he's drenched in sweat from, wow. from pummeling. And then people started to think, oh, maybe he's got a plan. Ali also had the crowd on his side between rounds. He continued to earn, urge them to chant, Ali, Bumaye, Ali. Wow. So he's firing, getting energy off the crowd. Ali continued to torch to taunt George, saying, Hit harder! Show me something, George! And that don't hurt. I thought you were supposed to be bad. And George actually later on said that this is when he started getting worried because he used to just beat the shit out of people and he's hitting Ali as hard as he can and he's not going down. So he did, he wouldn't... Like, no one had used that lying on a rope technique yeah, before, no one's, I guess. No so one, you just didn't... You wouldn't be putting it together. That... Yeah, you wouldn't work out... He'd just be thinking, What the hell? I'm, I'm punching this guy... And he's telling me to hit him harder, but I can't. Mm. Wow. So Ali's getting in his head. Finally, in the eighth round, Ali landed a left hook that brought Foreman's head up into position so Ali could nail him with a hard right straight to the face. So he pops his face up and then whacks him. All right. So boxing tape, like you sort of get your chin on your chest, do you? Yeah. So he pushed him up and he's open and then he just... Smashed. Absolute haymaker. Foreman staggered then twirled across the ring before landing on his back. Foreman got... He got up. Foreman got up, but not quickly enough. The referee counted to ten and waved the fight over. Wow. Wow. So ten years after upsetting Sonny Liston and seven years after being stripped of his title, Ali had finally regained the World Heavyweight Championship. It was another one of the biggest upsets in sporting history. Oh, my God. I love this. Ali told reporters that he chose not to add another punch as Foreman fell. So as he was falling, he could have punched him again. As to not spoil the symmetry of his descent. Because the way he sort of just crumples and falls down. And he's a huge dude. 
Plus, he's falling already. Wow. Yeah, but a lot of boxers will be like, fuck it, I've got to take another chance. Yeah. Wow. Just seal the deal. Oh, man, that makes me feel sick. Yeah, that's That's so brutal. That's That's so brutal. Ali pointed into the television camera and shouted to a worldwide audience, I am still the greatest of all time. As the match ended, the heavens opened up and a monsoon hit the stadium and the dressing rooms were flooded three feet deep. So it was like, end of match, I am the champ. <laughs> it, would, it would just feel like a powerful yeah, lord. You would feel so, <laughs> so good. Oh my god. That's, that's godlike. Oh, so godlike. So he's really pumped up. And I, I did hear somewhere that later on journalists saw him standing... Just fucking bitches. Well, no, he was standing by a river quite, quietly on his own. And he just said, turns to the... They sort of catch him on his own. And he turns to them and goes, Gentlemen, you'll never know how much that meant to me. And then left. Wow. And Fucking then he cool. floated into the sky. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, so just a bit more on later life for everyone in this story. Yes. Uh, Ali won nine more matches before losing, oh, wow. losing the title to American guy Leon Sprinks. Mm. But he won... Never the... heard of him. Well, Leon he won Sprinks. the title back in a rematch making him the first heavyweight champion to win the belt on three separate occasions. Wow. And he's a lot older by this stage. Ali retired, but quickly came out of retirement and fought mm. two more matches where he was badly beaten. Uh. It is said that the last two matches where he was absolutely pummeled, can't think of who it was, said it was like watching Ali have an autopsy performed on him while still uh. alive. Oof. He, and a lot of people have said that um, these last two matches may have contributed to his later Parkinson's disease. Wow, okay. Uh, Ali married four times and had nine children across his life. So, wow, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that. They have. Yeah. They mustn't be in the limelight too much. I don't think. Uh, his daughter is. She's a has been a oh, boxing boxer. champion. Yeah, right. Yeah, she's un- undefeated. Yeah, and now wow. retired. Retired undefeated. Amazing. You know what? I love that it's a daughter, not a son. Do you know what I mean? Like that's just extra cool. Yeah, isn't it? Does cool? that sound weird? But you know what I mean, though. Like. Yeah, well, it's not what, typical of what you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really great. Ali was named Fighter of the Year by Ring Magazine more than any other fighter in history. <laughs> Ring Magazine. In 1999, Time That's... Magazine named Muhammad Ali one of the 100 most important people of the 20th century. Wow. He was crowned Sportsman of the Century by Sports Illustrated, named Sports Personality of the Century. In a BBC poll, he received more votes than any of the other contenders, which included Pele, Jesse Owens, and Jack Nicholas, the golfer, Combined. Wow. Uh, George Foreman, after a near-death experience... Wait, Dave, sorry. Are these fun facts? These, I say this is a fun postscript. Okay. All right. do, you, do you go with that? Because rather than dot points, it just sums up everyone's... Okay, yeah, no, that's nice. Dave, yeah, that's lovely, Dave. Dave, you're a cowboy. You're a wild man. <laughs> I'm a wild man. And I love it. Thank you. He's a, he's a sick dog. You're a sick dog. <laughs> you're a sick puppy dog. I'm frothing at the mouth. You vomit on the carpet and you've eaten it up again. I love it. <laughs> it's our little secret. <laughs> I won't tell mum, but I know what you did. <laughs> we got George Foreman. Then we got George Foreman. After a, after a near-death experience, he stopped fighting and became an ordained minister... Decided to dedicate 10 years of his life to God. He Only had... 10 years. <laughs> he decided at the start, I'm just going to do this a tight 10. 10. <laughs> and then I can do whatever the fuck I want. 
I have grills. I love that. Oh, yeah, it's funny how it's like I believe in this is like I was saying before, we believe in God. Obviously, God's all powerful, He's created everything. I'm gonna dedicate a little bit of time to Him. That's the least I could do. One, I he created do, everything. I, I could give him a little I'll bit just of wait time. I'll wait a little 10 years. No, do you know what it is? I'll dedicate one seventh of my uh, guaranteed lifespan to him, which, if you think about it, is one seventh of the week is the Sabbath. Uh, I'll just give out all my Sundays in one go. Bang it right and out. The rest quickly. of my life. <laughs> yeah. I'm home free. Oh, that's smart. That's nice. That's, really that's nice. So what happened after 10 years was uh, he announced a comeback as a boxer at the age of 38, mostly so he could fund a sort of Christian endeavours. Oh. And then he regained the... He t- fought some kids, so that's fun. <laughs> he came back at 38 and he got better and better and sort of slimmed down and got back to fighting. He fought a shark. <laughs> and a, the shark had a bear on its back. <laughs> Oh. And he fought him. And he won. <laughs> He's the bear shark champion still to this day. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. <laughs> no, he, oh. So he came back at 38, but he regained the heavyweight championship at the age of 45. Wow. 20 years after he lost it to Ali. And when he won it, he was wearing the same shorts. No. How fucking cool is that? I hope he'd washed them. He was the oldest fighter to win the championship. 45. 45. So he won it when he was 24, lost it that to Muhammad amazing. Ali, retired 20 years later, came back. That is, am- that is amazing. That's impressive. And when Foreman came back from retirement, so this is a big comeback story, he argued that his success was due to his healthy eating, which <laughs> made him a perfect fit for Sultan Inc., which was looking for a spokesperson for its reduced fat grill, in which Foreman had some influence designing, but it's not his idea. Uh-huh. Hulk Hogan had previously been considered the <laughs> WWE wrestler, but chose to pitch the Hulkamania meatball maker instead. You've all heard of You've got yeah, one of those, of obviously, course. Obviously, yeah. I'm not an idiot. The second best selling grill appliance of all time. Mm-hmm. Although Foreman has never confirmed exactly how much he's earned from the endorsement, it is known that Sultan paid him $137 million in 1999 for the the right to use his name. In 1999 as well. So he'd been making money up until that point, and then he said, all right, I I won't take any more money. Now you've got the right to my name. Give me a lump sum. I just want a million dollars. Like, I don't... So prior to that, he was paid... (laughs) About 40% of the profits on each grill, earning him $4.5 million a month in peak payouts. So it is estimated that he's made over $200 million from the endorsement. Oh my god. Substantially more than he ever earned as a boxer. Or a minister. Which is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Well, depends how high you went up at the Vatican. That is crazy. Isn't that crazy money? But it also means, I mean it's great money, but it also means to a generation... He's the grill guy, not the boxing guy. Yeah, that's what we were saying before, but that's fine. I'd cool. be okay with that. Cool. I'd be okay with that for $200 million. I'd be okay with anything what's for $200 that? million. <laughs> what's that? I used to be a comedian and you didn't know about it. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? I'm the grill girl. I'm a grill girl. I'm a grill man. <laughs> I'm a grilling man. I'm a grilling man. <laughs> the griller in Manila. <laughs> yeah! Should have called it that. See, that rhymed, Matt. Fuck. That no, rhymed. I don't hear it. No. But he didn't find it. I don't it. hear in rhymes. <laughs> I will say, the Thriller in Manila... Dave, are you you saying that if... You think that if someone gave you some big grill endorsement that somehow that might overshadow your comedy career? Yes. I don't see any grill that is going to get that popular. That's very cute of you, Matt, but I think you're blowing smoke up his tiny ass. (laughs) 
it is very funny for me to compare my comedy career to a two-time world boxing heavyweight champion who fought in the, one of the most famous boxing matches of all time against Muhammad Ali. Okay. And I'm like, oh, no, people might remember my comedy. Dave, well, I mean, maybe he was a two-time world champion, but you're a two-time nominee, best comedy at Fringe World in Perth, so... That is correct, two times. Two times. Which nominee. Means, which nominee. means... <laughs> Two-time loser, but I will remind you that George Foreman also lost his title twice, so Ooh. two-time loser. And was he nominated at Fringe World? Probably. probably. Yeah, he probably was. He put on a real performance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say the thriller in Manila, Matt, that you're talking about before, yeah. the final note on Muhammad Ali's career, he, that was him in Manila mm. fighting against Joe Frazier for the third time. Mm. And Muhammad Ali won. Yeah. So two one over. So that was la- that was wow. later. So that was after the run. This is one of the nine. That was fights. like a retiree sort of old man fight. Oh yeah, they were both a lot older by then. It was just a ca- bit of a cash in. Huge cash in. What Don, about- Don King also organised that. Of course so. he did. Right, but I mean those rhyming sort of names are the key because they're the two fights <laughs> yeah. I know of. The Rumble and Jungle, Thrill and Manila. I think it's also why I like uh, Danny Green because he's the Green Machine. Oh, that's pretty good. The names are very integral, I think. So, you know, you um, Ali always talked about being the greatest and stuff, but you've talked about all these boxers have amazing records. Like, with time and everything, do, is, is, does history say one of them was the greatest? It's one. Well, it's very debated. So, it's, it's there's debated. no one would say definitely one over the other. I mean, no, some people will say that Muhammad Ali is the greatest right. of all time. Because I, I feel, I just always thought that a, a big part of that was, you know, marketing and he was such a good self-promoter. He's such a big personality. Now, people, a lot of people say that, especially when he was young, and if he hadn't been robbed of that four right. years, he would have been un- unbeatable. Would have been. That's, would have. That's, but no, but still, he's... But then, because the, the thing about the this... the championship the, on three separate occasions. But the one that you were just talking about was basically finding a loophole, right? He did this thing that no one had figured out before, which is really smart, but that doesn't make you a good boxer. That Does just makes also, you a really good all, strategist, it's, right? It's, yeah, I think he's definitely one of the best strategists and best getting in... At getting people in people's heads because yeah. you can't you can't use rope dope again, can you? You can't. Oh, no, they you know could. what you're doing. So but wouldn't you? you oh, wouldn't, still, you wouldn't pummel him on the ropes anymore, would you? People still do. I read uh, that Manny Pacquiao, the famous yeah boxer, he Pac-Man, he has used the method once when he was fighting against someone to, to test out how good the guy was, right? How, how his punches were, so he just took him on the rope. <laughs> so people still use the method. Um, Seems I, like if you get sucked into that now, you'd be, you know, not very smart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I, you saw me admit it. Go so wild there, but I it, felt it was not as sexy as when Dave was. I felt passionate. Before. I felt emotional. You went for it. Yeah. You took your time. Well, this is the final note on the report. I will say that Muhammad Ali and George Foreman eventually became very close friends. As opposed to Joe Frazier and... They were not mates. They were not mates. Do you reckon Muhammad Ali had a George Foreman grill in his house? I would say almost certainly. Yes. Ali had trouble walking to the stage at the 1996 Oscars to be part of the group receiving the Oscar for When We Were Kings, a documentary on the fight in Zaire which I suggest everyone watch because it is absolutely fantastic. Wow. Uh, due to Ali's Parkinson's disease, George Foreman helped him up the steps to receive the Oscar, so they went up with the documentary maker because it's about their fight. Foreman eventually concluded in 2003, Ali is the greatest man I've ever known. Wow. Not greatest boxer. That's too small for him. He had a gift. He's not pretty. He's beautiful. Everything America should be, Muhammad Ali is. Wow. 
That's very nice. Very nice. And he would later say he couldn't deal with the fight. He couldn't deal with the loss at the time. He was told himself that Ali, you know, was you know cheated or that all this all this different stuff. He didn't. The conditions were wrong. But as he grew older, he eventually admitted the better man won. Wow. That's amazing. Which to me makes Foreman the better man. I agree. I agree. Somehow. Somehow. Now I'm really glad I paid twenty four ninety five for his um, mix and go blender. That's right. I'm, I'm, you know. Well, you may be, but I have absolutely no regrets about buying the Hulkamania meatball <laughs> machine. So you know, win win. Meatball. Dave, oh. that was an excellent report. Great report, as always, Dave. Thank as you very always. much. Rum- Dave. Uh, yeah, we wanted to do that one for a while now, and then when Paul Muhammad th- went, thought we'd go for it. Dave, Jess, and I have got an idea. How about you just do all the reports? I think we've pitched this to him a few times and he's never on board. Because it would make me do triple triple my work and your work would be a lot less. Yeah, Yeah. that's probably. I think that's probably why we. So is that? I mean, is that good or? Because you were saying before, one hundred percent is good. Yeah, you were saying that before. I'm saying you could do one hundred percent of the reports. Is that that's good, right? Is that what you're saying? One hundred percent is good. I'm so confused now. Yeah, feel like you've got me on the ropes. What's that? I was doing it on purpose the whole time. I am the champion. Okay, if who would win in a fight out of the three of us, though? Oh, uh, definitely not me. I think you'd, both of you'd probably team oh, up and take me out, and no. then it'd be between the it, two of you. Interestingly, that question was asked when our uh, our mate Nick Mason was sitting in your chair. Oh yeah, and he said that Dave would win. Why did he say it? Nah. Because you asked the question. Oh, like, okay. If you ask the question, there's something about you who. Yeah, was, I reckon I'd kick your asses. Yeah, I definitely. I, be... I weigh the most. <laughs> I am the heavyweight champion of this team, <laughs> and I did taekwondo for several years. Yeah, did right. you for several? Well, do I need to remind you that I once played tennis? <laughs> you once played tennis. <laughs> Apparently, I'm ranked 31st in the world. I did forget that you once played tennis, which will obviously help you in a fight. Fucking Dave. Yeah, I. Well, I think. I'd take you. You would definitely win. Yeah. What about in? Zaire, 1974. No, don't be fucking ridiculous, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I reckon I'm David sorry. would handle the humid conditions better. No, he wouldn't, little skinny boy. Anyway, point is that would never happen because we're all friends. Anyway. I'll never tw- fight with you. Tweet in who you think would win in a fight from the sound of our voices. <laughs> 40, 40 to 1 against me. Come on. Sound tough. I'll take him. You sound tougher than you look, Dave. Yeah, you do. Yeah, please do not Google image search me. It will ruin your imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Or look at your phone screen where there's probably a photo of Dave inside of an O. Mm. Mm. (laughs) But we're all inside an O. (gasps) Aren't we? Yeah. In a way. (laughs) In a way. Aren't we we all inside an O? (laughs) Well, listener dear, you can... (laughs) Listener dear. It is getting late. (laughs) You too can be inside an O by <laughs> tweeting us Is that in. what they call it these days? Yeah, well, we'll do whatever you want. Tweeting in an idea for a show at DoGoOnPod. I swear I'm going back to the hat next week. If you, I'm not going to tell you who you are, but at least one of you out there in two weeks' time when it's my sh- shot again are going to be pretty happy when I do my report because it's from the hat. Uh, but you can also email us if you're not a Twitter person. Do go on pod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. You can always review us on iTunes. Or you know what the best thing would be to do? 
tell a friend if you do that. We're actually really getting out there, and I think it's mainly because people are just telling people. Yeah, so keep doing that. So Thank if you've got you. friends that like podcasts and they want to add one into their rotation, tell them to give us a go. Thanks yeah, so give much us a for go. listening, everybody. Yeah, we really yeah, appreciate thanks. it. Thanks. It's really, really cool. I mean, I know we, like, you know, we muck around a lot here at Do Go On Pod, but... Yeah, we, well, we'd physically turn on each other, but we'd never physically turn on you. I know, I would never physically... Well, yeah, no, if push comes to shove, I would push and shove you, but I would never do that to our listeners, and I love them all equally. So, great. Get in contact. Matt, are you going back to the hat next week? Oh, I'm always in the hat. <laughs> Matt, you I'm kinda, wearing the hat. If the hat is kind of like... If it was a museum, you'd be the curator. Yeah, I love the hat so much. Yeah. And everyone, like, I can't, but so many great suggestions. And when they come in, I reckon one in three, I've never heard of the topic before. Mm. And I do a quick look and there are some fascinating snor- like snoris, snoris and stories about... The snoris are the ones that are a bit dull. <laughs> yeah. But the stories... Like our mate Turkumbashi, that was... we oh. never heard of him. No, never heard of him And that before. was the best. Anyway, let's go to bed. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Get in the get in the truck. Get, I'll keep driving all night. Woo! I've, I've got a boxing match at four thirty, and I'm pulling an all night. I don't know about you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Later. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.